Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Good morning in New Zealand. Good morning to you all on this, uh, I guess, celebratory morning for some of us uh, who watch the cricket. Uh, we'll talk about that throughout the morning, beginning with uh, Martin Guptill. Guppy's uh, just, I think, towards the end of his MIQ stint after coming home uh, from the T20 World Cup and, of course, that mini tour of India. So uh, what did Guppy think of yesterday? And uh, a reflection, too, on uh, the T20 performance. Phil Tautarangi, uh, just after 9.30 this morning, with our perhaps a bit of a review of the golfing year uh, and some other news that has uh, just come to light as well. Jared Huyata. Uh, now, you might have thought that the rugby season was over, but it is not over, is it ever over, to be fair. The Barbars uh, will be playing this weekend against the Heartland 15 at Owen Delaney Park in Topo. So uh, they uh, will be coached by Warren Gatland with Jared Huyata as a co-coach. We'll speak to him. Uh, Dave Worsley and... Uh, Guy Havelt will be the panel this morning. Then, uh, of course, Louis and the TAB uh, just before 11 o'clock. Uh, we'll talk to Dino Lonigan. Dean Lonigan on the back of that great success yesterday for Australian boxing. How's he going to feed off that? He's very good at that. How's he going to feed off that? We'll have a Mount Rushmore this morning too. And you can even start thinking about it right here and now. The four best moustaches in sport. The four best moustaches in sport. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, allow me to play devil's advocate today. Was that a brilliant test save in Kanpur last night, or was it, in essence, a blown opportunity? Some might say a bit of both. Indian captain Ajinka Rahani will have no doubt reflected on the one that got away, uh, the inability to claim that 10th and vital wicket, but there was a time when New Zealand needed 180 of 55 overs to win with eight wickets in hand that he may well have considered seriously that he was going to lose. It would be interesting to know if Steady the Ship Kane thought about pointing the bow into that big wave and taking it on at any stage on that fifth afternoon. He was in bonus territory. The unlikely Somerville and Latham had an effect given him the perfect platform. What a first session that was. History shows that about one in five times anyone gets the chance to beat India, depleted or not, in their own backyard. And this was depleted. Less than those odds that the host will ever give you a sniff. And the black caps were donated both. So I wonder whether, in all honesty, any of our boys sat back in reflection thinking of the one that got away. Was our approach, our attitude, one typifying the reigning world champs? 
the best test nation in the world? Indeed, would McCullum have given it a crack? And how about the irony of the three blokes charged with winning it with the ball, initially actually saving it with the bat? Somerville, Patel and young Ravindra did their secondary jobs damn well in the end. The young Colt will have gained a lot from that run. He might well be a real investment. Saldi and Jamison's outstanding efforts will no doubt guarantee a slower, drier, more spin-conducive surface in Mumbai. It will be interesting to see if the King and Coley does return. And it will also be of interest to discover if Will Sumville's brilliant first session stand is also his last under the black cap. It's tough at the top. You've got to take those chances. So was it the one that was saved, the one that got away, or both? I actually don't believe that either squad will be feeling that great hopping on the plane today to Mumbai. Well, the Black Caps dug in, as we said, for a brave draw in the first test against India and Kampur as Russian Ravindra and Ajas Patel uh, survived for 52 balls in a gutsy last wicket stand to deny the host victory. And one man who knows all about being gutsy and uh, surviving in difficult circumstances is the Black Caps opening batsman Martin Guptill, who's back home in MIQ in New Zealand. Uh, good morning to you, Guppy. You must be just about uh, set to leave MIQ, eh? You must be close. Hey, Smitty. Yeah, we're all out tomorrow, um, which I think everybody's pretty keen to get out and uh, get home to, to their families. OK, mate. Uh, we'll start with, uh, first of all, um, your health. Let's, let's start with your health. We, we hear the stories of, of the, the broken toe. How, how debilitating was it, mate? Oh, I'm unconfirmed at the moment, so I still haven't had an X-ray, but I'm probably going to get one of those on Monday once. You know, our three-day isolation period is over, and I can get in to get a scan. But it's uh, it's been uh, a lot better now. Um, obviously, early days after I got hit on it, it was it was pretty sore. Um, and then having having to get uh, an injection in every game and every training was, was a bit of a, a bit of a pain. But um, you know, it was something that I had to do. Let's uh, look at uh, the performances overall. Um, the terrific con- uh, consistency you showed throughout that tournament. Um, did you feel that you left a, a, a really big one out there at any stage? A really big one? Oh, who knows, mate. It's, um, you know what T20 cricket's like. You still, you've got to try and push the run rate uh, in every game, and you know it's not always going to come off. So um, you know, probably the one that I was most disappointed about was, was the final. Um, I, I feel like I, I let the team down in a big way there with the way that I batted there. But um, overall, I think um, you know, it was from pretty positive steps leading into our summer back here. What about batting second in that World T20 Cup? It seemed to be, if you look at the stats, uh, it seemed to be a massive, I mean a massive uh, advantage to chase. Yeah, I think especially in the night games. Um, you know, there was a fair bit of dew that came down in, in, in a few games that, um, you know, made the ball sit on a wee bit. Um, but, yeah, I think, um, I think yeah, the, the, they weren't as spin-friendly conditions as what we thought. Um, you know, after having the IPL there, you know, we thought there was going to be a, a lot more turn than what there was. But the, the curators over there did a fantastic job, and you know, they're producing some pretty good wickets overall. Uh, let's uh, uh, look at uh, the Indian series. I mean, 
Uh, I mean, it came around so quickly. Normally, you'd have a, a little bit more time to sort of get over and, and get back up again. How hard was it to, for those guys involved in that final to get straight back up for that Indian series? I think it was more difficult um, physically, from a physical point of view. You know, we, we had um, we travelled the day after the, the final, and then we had a day off, and then um, you know we played it again. So it was, it was pretty tough to, to get up physically. But um, whenever you, you pull the you know the black cap on and you got that shirt, the fern on your chest, it's um, you know it's not hard to get yourself up for a game thing as well. So, what was the squad feeling? Um, I mean, okay, you get to a final, uh, and I didn't quite get over it. Was uh, when you sat back, maybe after twenty-four hours, forty-eight hours, how did you feel about the overall T Twenty World Cup performance? Overall, I think we played some really good cricket, um, and obviously, we were extremely disappointed uh, in the final. You know, we we you know one hundred and seventy out on the board in a, in a T Twenty final is a is a pretty good good effort, and um, you know. We just weren't quite there with it, um, you know, at the end of the day. So, but full credit to Australia. I mean, you know, look at the way that Davey played and also Mitch Marsh. You know, they took the game away from us um, pretty quickly with it, with a massive partnership there, and, and that was the difference in the game. Mm, absolutely. Marsh played brilliantly. Um, right, let, let's uh, turn the clock forward to uh, what we saw over this last uh, Test match um, in Kampur, and particularly yesterday. Uh, in that situation like yesterday, um, you know, put yourself maybe in Tom Latham's shoes where you're in with a, um, a night watchman uh, and, you, and all of a sudden you find you've survived uh, a whole session with the, with the same guy. Um, that was unique. It was, that, I think was, that probably is overlooked a bit by the partnership towards the end because without that stability at the start, the, start, the pressure would have come on a lot sooner. Oh, 100%. Um, I don't think I ever had the privilege of being with a night watchman, but um, look, Tommy and, uh, and and Will, they they put on a great partnership to, to bat the whole session and, you know, to effectively nearly bat, bat India out the game there. It was, um, you know, it was a hell of an effort and, uh, you know, it takes a lot of mental application and, you know, for, for Dad or Will, sorry, who, who um, you know, isn't known for his batting, you know, to do that for a whole session and... Um, yeah, it was a fantastic effort, and you know it was actually great watching um, here from from the hotel room. So, uh, no, well done to those guys. Okay, let's uh, let's look at it uh, at that point. Okay, we're uh, we're at lunch. We haven't lost a wicket. Um, you know, still two long sessions to survive. But uh, is at any stage do you think they would have talked about or contemplating going on to win that test? Uh, I think if they had. Didn't lose Will's first ball after lunch, and then got through to drinks. Uh, you know, with only maybe potentially one one wicket more down. Uh, it was, you know, they could have pushed on um, towards the end, but uh, I think, you know, having like losing Will first ball after lunch, you know, that that sort of set the team back a little bit. But then having, uh, I think, um, I can't remember when the next wicket went down, but it was sort of went bang bang, and and that was sort of the nail in the coffin of trying to go for the one. I think it was, it was more about um, batting the rest of the day out from there. So at one point they, uh, when Kane was with Tom Latham, I looked at it and uh, I've I got to be honest, I thought New Zealand would win this uh, because they needed 180 or 50 overs with eight wickets in hand and two very good players at the crease. Um, and I, I thought at that point, um, we, we were, uh, I think we were about four to one uh, to have a crack at winning it and I thought that was a reasonable investment. But uh, maybe I was wrong, maybe that's optimistic oldie in as opposed to practical um, young ex-player Ian thinking, uh, that we had a chance. So I, I really did. Be, I really did. I really did actually think we would win at that point. 
Yeah, I think there's still definitely a chance at that point. But um, as soon as that run rate sort of creeps towards the four mark in India, it's extremely hard to to be able to get um, you know those fielders out from under your nose as a batter. So if um, you know if, the, if Kane and, and Tom were both in on you know 60, 70, 80, um, you know those guys wouldn't have been under the nose and it would have been a whole lot easier. But to try and force those guys out from out from around the bat is extremely difficult to do um, on on you know, those low slow turning um, tracks so um, you know I think once um, I can't remember who went out first my brain's let me down here but as soon as that first guy went out it was sort of almost time to shut up shop from there hard to start yeah, those conditions as well yeah I think it was Tom and, and of course uh, in Ross's situation uh, this this test match represented the, his first uh, innings in the middle I think since that world uh, test final yeah um, tough, tough for Roscoe you know he, with New Zealand being in lockdown and not being able to get a game for CD at any time in the middle um, before he left, you know, it's, it's a tough ask, um, and it's extremely difficult to replicate any sort of training um, conditions like there are in India. So, for him to go out and um, be, you know, and not have a, I guess, a great time out there, you know, that, that, that's unfortunate for Roscoe, but he's got two more innings over there to make the most of it. Uh, unbelievable, unbelievable bowling performance, I thought, uh, from Jamison and Salvi. On a pitch which really didn't have any any pace or any great degree of bounce at all, um, man, uh, I thought that was quite superb. And in the end, um, they probably could have used Wagner as well with the trend of what it, what it was going. So uh, that was interesting that, uh, that 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 they could have that kind of impact. I thought in that test match, a hundred percent. You know, I don't think anybody would have would have thought they at both they would have had you know what was it eight wickets and six wickets each. So. It was uh, a fantastic from those two to keep trucking away, and I think um, there was one point. I think it was on day, early on day four or so, when you know the ball's not supposed to carry through to the keeper, you know, above waist height. Basically, got a couple to go through, and Tom was taking them reverse cut at his head height. So, you know, we were able to extract a bit of bounce and then just get a little bit of lift, and um, which troubled the Indian batsmen at times. And to have them 51 for five in the second innings, that was a that was a hell of an effort. And then you know, especially. You know, from Tim, who on day one, you know, we didn't think he was going to make it past, past there. So for him to come back from a, a wee niggle and, and take five wickets and then three, um, huge effort and, and huge ticket from the both of them. Guppy, we've been trying to explain to people at home uh, the art of, of how you try and uh, combat a guy like uh, Ashwin particularly uh, because of uh, the fact that he's, I mean, he's, he's come up with this uh, um, amazing strategy of trying to bowl from around the wicket and end up bowling over the wicket. It's, it's quite odd. Um, uh, but I, I wonder, when you're looking at Ashwin, how closely do you have to look at his hand? Can you explain to the people at home who, who wouldn't have seen a spinner of this kind what you're looking for with Ravi Ashwin? Yeah, you're looking at his hand fairly closely. Um, he's got his... You know, I think he's come out and said he's got a fair few different um, variations, but in that T20 series recently, you know, he in that first game, he never, never bowled me an off-spinner. They were all the carom ball trying to go away, and then to chap you down the other end, he was only ever bowling off-spinner. So, you know, we were able to see the difference in um, what he was what he was bowling. And, um, yeah, it's it, it subtle changes in his wrist. Um, obviously, if you're not picking it, you know, the, you just notice there's something different. Um, so you, you play accordingly to that, and it, it's the same with other, you know, I guess they've called, been called mystery spinners over the years, the Jantha Mendes and, uh, and you know, the likes of them, um, and that new um, Baron Chakravarti from India as well. 
you know, you just notice there's something a little bit different in their in their action and when it's the variation. So you you just you know watching closely and just trying to pick up any any subtle differences. I want to. Uh, do you do you get a chance when you're, you're backing up to look at that hand action at all? <laughs> I don't. I tend to look at the hand. I sort of tend to look at what my partner's doing and, and watching him if he's taking a run or, or what's going on. So I I don't feel like I'm quick enough to look at the hand and then try and catch up with the mate down the other end. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I just uh, also we need to know uh, what's uh, in line for you now. I guess it depends on the result of uh, the X-ray, etc. But all going well, uh, what do you hope to do cricket-wise uh, leading into Christmas or just after? Um, yeah, I've obviously got the X-ray on Monday, but um, I've got uh, some Super Smash to play for Auckland um, starting on the 17th of December. Um, and then in, in between that, that when you know, we were meant to have had weeks off with the lockdown that's happened, we've got one-day cricket and all between that. So I've got a fair bit of um, cricket leading into that Australian series later in uh, January. And, uh, of course, we need to know, uh, it's less than 12 months away. Um, are you already thinking about uh, that, that World Test uh, T20 uh, Championship as well? Uh, try not to. It's, uh, you know, it's always in the back of the mind. that You sort of plan out your year with what's leading into that and um, you know, try and play as much white ball cricket as possible um, leading into that period and you know, just trying to you know, keep, keep the fitness up and keep the strength and that, and that sort of thing and, and also the form with the bat as well. So it's going to be a big year. I'm looking really looking forward to it. I think first of all, though, um, you've got a couple of kids who are, um, and a wife that obviously waiting to see you, uh, Guppy. That, uh, that reunion's going to be cool, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's um, obviously the first time uh, in a long time that I've been away for this sort of amount of time. So... Yeah, the kids are going to be. Teddy um, probably won't won't recognise me to start with, but um, you know, once he, he recognises me, hopefully he can, uh, you know, a few big smiles and a few cuddles and that sort of thing, which will be quite cool. Looking forward to that. Okay, massively. Guppy. Yeah, I'm sure you are, mate, and you deserve a great reunion as well. Uh, terrific performance while you were away, and also thanks very much for for uh, talking to us this morning. I really appreciate it. No, Enjoy the reunion. No worries, Matty. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, cheers. Martin Guptill there, folks. Um, absolutely, uh, I thought uh, one of the standouts across that one-day uh, series against India and the World Cup as well, you just, I mean, it's just a given. Uh, for me, you, you pick Kane Williamson, then you pick Martin Guptill, and then you look for uh, uh, your next nine players when it comes to T20 cricket. He's still that good, and we still depend on him that much. Right, right about uh, your, your texting subjects today. Well, was I, am I being a bit greedy, thinking that we could have won that Test match at 180? Um, required with eight wickets in hand and well over 50 overs to get it. Is that a possibility? Um, did we, uh, I don't say we had to get down on one knee and slog them out of the park. Did we push for ones? Did we rotate the strike? Uh, did we look for opportunities to push those players out that Martin Gupta was talking about? Or, or, or am I just dreaming? I, I'm happy for you to have a crack. I mean, I, I've opened up the lines. Have a crack if you like. It, it, um, it really doesn't worry me, but I just thought, having been there and having watched Indian cricket for a number of years, that was an opportunity. It certainly was an opportunity. Normally they just snuff you out. They'll say, look, you go and get 350 on the last day. We know you've got absolutely no chance of getting that, and we'll have men all around the bat. But they gave us a chance on the basis that uh, perhaps they either didn't rate our batting line-up or they rated their spinners to actually knock us over. Um, in, any, in either event, it never eventuated either way. So uh, we, uh, we go to Mumbai, of course. Uh, we're level. There's no doubt about that. 
Um, I don't think for one second it's going to be anything like a pitch that's going to help Southie and Jamison this time round. Uh, I mean, if they're the dominant bowlers in, in our lineup, are they going to bring them into play at all? Are they going to allow them to be in there at all? I somewhat doubt it. Anyway, I love your opinion. 921 here on SENZ. Behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, 9.26 here on SENZ. Uh, two or three texts have come in, which tends to suggest you, you agree with me. Uh, what's the one that got away? Uh, seems like Ravindra was a good selection. His batting seemed to save our bacon. Yes, well, he did play a nice rear guard action towards the end of it. And for a kid of his age, uh, that was an outstanding performance. And when he came to do that, uh, that's the only option we had, was to save the test match. Uh, I'm talking about before that. I'm talking about well before Ravindra uh, came to the crease. Uh, where our um, perhaps our thinking may well have uh, been a little bit more urgent and a little bit more open to, to winning the Test match. I, I look at, I, I really don't think that at any point. I look at the numbers, um, the number of deliveries that, that both uh, Latham and Williamson faced during their partnership without being that productive. Uh, I, I kind of think at that point we were never ever likely to give it a go. And from that moment, that point onwards, I mean Rahani was never under pressure as captain. I mean, he, he hadn't captain in India at home very often. Imagine losing to New Zealand at home. Imagine the pressure he would have felt there if we'd have gone at him just a wee bit more uh, and just asked him a question for maybe another half hour. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I just kind of think that, to me, I, I just uh, the whole time I've been thinking, man, we, we could have we been better. Uh, we are the World Test Champions, says Mark from Lower Hutt. How about we actually play like that instead of this meek, mild version that we saw last night? We can still be the nice guys, but let's be positive and give it a go. Kind of my thoughts, Mark. Kind of my thoughts. Um, morning, Smithy. I think Ashwin and co uh, were relying on us to attack, but good on them too from not taking a wicket in the first session to nearly winning it. A great test match. Both still the top two test teams in the world. Uh, we may well have an opinion on that. I, I think uh, the, the Ashes coming up. I don't think there's much between uh, the four or five teams at the top. Uh, I throw Pakistan in there a, a, a wee bit as well because we'll never quite know. Um, see how hard it is to beat Pakistan in Pakistan but uh, we, we look at the test series coming up between England and Australia that is going to be an absolute cracker um, OK, I'm not sure how we, you can say we should have had more of a crack when we only fell over the line for a draw uh, we only fell over the line for a draw because we went into a defensive mode and we just waited for something to happen and uh, you only have to look at the way uh, we were dismissed predominantly LBW, to think that getting the pad in the way first was the option rather than hitting the ball uh, as the option. That is, hey, look, that's just me. The, um, I'm just looking for answers here. I'm just looking think, to think that uh, perhaps if we'd have pushed around a wee bit more, spread the field just a wee bit more, taken some of those blokes out that Martin Gupta was talking about. I know it's hard, uh, but we're test players and we're the world test champion. And I, I'm not sure that... Uh, we showed that yesterday. Anyway, that's uh, just my opinion. 9.29, uh, coming up to uh, 9.30, when we uh, return after the break, uh, Phil Tautarangi will be in his usual spot uh, to talk about, yes, to talk about the golfing events of um, of the week and perhaps uh, a review, a little review of the year. And don't forget also, top four moustaches in, in sport. Top four moustaches in sport uh, that you can recall. And... Um, I think the way that she's turned around her career and now contending, you know, we've only just had a 
couple of whiskers off from putting her name in, in amongst the hat for, for for player of the year. She's most definitely the third best player of, of the year on the on the LPGA tour. Um, so it must really have to go with her season, the consistency across the board. Having said that, um, you know it's a different uh, different competitive um, pool that, that Steve Alker entered himself into. Um, but his his performance is ten weeks on the trot. Nine of them top ten. Um, picked up a win, first win in what about five or six years anywhere doing anything, and finished the year as um, you know as as I guess a hotter player as there as there was out on the uh, on the Champions Tour. So a a, um, a couple of great seasons to um, to, to reflect on, and, and most of we got to throw in there that. Um, you know, Daniel Hillier picking up his first win on the Challenge Tour. Also, again, a different competitive pool, but um, some 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 great performances all the same. News coming through that the uh, New Zealand Open golf organisers are forging ahead with the plan to play the, the tournament from March 31st to April 3rd at Millbrook, Phil, uh, probably without overseas golfers, but in the light of what happened in Johannesburg the other day, I guess we should be lucky to have anything at all again. Yeah, look, it's going to be a, a challenge, and I, th- I think they've been preparing for this sort of challenge uh, for a long period of time. As nice as it would be for everything to open up, Smithy, in, in lots of different ways, uh, the reality was that most probably wasn't going to be the case. And so, you know, with the format of the New Zealand Open, uh, Smithy, it's not only about the professionals, although, it's, you know, it's a professional tournament, and there's the Brady Breeze Cup and um, some world ranking points and a, a little bit of cash doled out, Um it's as much about the amateurs with the Pro-Am format as well. And so they've got a number of them that are based here in New Zealand that um, have been itching and scratching, ready to, to go. The people down at Millbrook who have been great hosts for the, um, the last, uh, what, 10 years or so now. Um, and in the whole Queenstown area, to be fair, Smithy, they, can, they could do with a little boost of their economy. So um, kudos to the organising committee, Mike Gladding at the at the helm and, and, and John Hart, the chair, of forging on. Look, it's not going to be the New Zealand Open that we've known uh, over the last uh, handful of years or so. That's, that's to be true because not only the professionals, but just everything that we've been through. Having said that, um, event organisers at the moment, those that are, are prepared to forge on ahead and give it a shot um, and try and you know, wrestle back some sort of normalcy with uh, with everything because it'd be really easy to cancel it. I've uh, got, got to tip the cap to those guys for, for forging on. Sad news, one of the pioneers, and I mean pioneers of uh, world golf, uh, Lee Elder has uh, passed away. Uh, you might, a lot of people might recall Lee, he was the third member uh, when they looked to uh, tee off to launch the, the Masters this year. Lee Elder was the third member of the group, unable to get out of his wheelchair and hit a ball, um, uh, as like Jack and, and uh, Gary Player were able to do. But he got the invite, and um, obviously uh, he, he's passed away, Phil, and he was. He was a pioneer, wasn't he? Absolutely was, Smithy. And look, we're, we're going back nearly 50 years or so from Lee Elder when he first emerged on the PGA Tour. We're not even sure whether he should be allowed to play on the PGA Tour. It's hard to say that. It was right around when I was born. Hard to say that, um, you know, things were so different then than, than what they are now. Um, but uh, it, the, the big news really kind of came when he won on 70, in 1975 on, on the, the PGA Tour and therefore 
gained himself an invite to the Masters, which at the time, um, you know, the only time you saw a man of colour around the uh, Augusta National was with a set of white overalls on. And so um, really kicked down some barriers and, um, and you know, it, the, the, I guess the, set the path forward for what a number of players have, uh, have enjoyed on the PGA Tour, regardless of the colour of their skin, and um, and and, a, and tip of the cap also to uh, to Augusta National for not only the initiative of having him come back as an honorary starter, but um, investing a fair bit of their um, their well earned profits from that tournament that they run every year in April into some scholarships for a number of different athletes. That Lee started, um, he, he put his money where his mouth is and, and said, hey, look, I, I was fortunate enough to get a bit of a leg up um, and uh, and could pursue my dreams. There are a number of athletes, not only golfers, um, but athletes that um, that are less fortunate than he was and he wants to try and um, you know provide whatever he can to, to let people chase their dreams. He had some scholarships. Augusta National have kicked in with a fair bit of cash uh, at a university in Augusta. Georgia to um, to facilitate that. So a number of great initiatives in the name of Lee Elder for what he did for breaking down some barriers in the school of golf. School report time, uh, Phil. Um, I'm not going. We don't have to summarise greatly, but give us some names here. Uh, best player, best men's player this year on on uh, in the golfing world. Best in the golfing world. Yeah. Although Patrick Cantlay got the um, got the award at the end of the FedEx Cup season, certainly for me it's John Rahm hands down. He's the number one player pretty much throughout the course of the season, and he led the scoring average. He had the most number of top tens. He made the most dough despite having a couple of events where he um, was leading by substantial amounts going into the last day, and most probably came up about a million short because he had to withdraw. He made the most birdies. Um, he, he led with strokes gained, tee to green, basically ball striking stat. Um, all of those things combined, um, and he had a couple of tournaments where he couldn't couldn't uh, either finish or couldn't start. wasn't able to play in the Olympics. Um, John Rahm, for me, was um, by he- by far the uh, the best male male player on the planet this uh, this season in the women's game. Yeah, a bit of a toss-up, to be fair. Smithy, I mentioned Lydia was, you know, third-best women's player this year. Um, the two most consistent uh, and best were, were quite, a, quite a ways ahead in, in Nelly Quarter and, and Jin Young Ko. Jin Young Ko having five wins and ended up picking up the, the women's player of the year on the LPGA Tour. But I would maybe throw in um, Nelly Quarter, uh, just a, a, a slight nose ahead. Um, my, my dog's agreeing with that, uh, or disagreeing, one or the other. Um, that uh, just purely because she won a major championship and she won the gold medal. Um, she had the lowest scoring average out on on the LPGA tour as well, but she played less tournaments than, than what was required. Hence Lydia picking up that trophy. So um, Lydia, uh, sorry, excuse me, Nelly Quarter and, and John Rahm, the best women's and men's player on the planet this year. And just finally, the best uh, overall tournament performance, the best standout win. Yeah, I'm going to throw in there a bit of a curveball here, Smithy, and that Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship. Um, mm. And look, I'm not a not a not a massive Phil Mickelson fan. However, you know, if you if you go 17 tournaments leading up to there and you haven't finished inside the top 10, and then you don't have a top 10 since, um, some could say that's a bit of a fluke. 
noticeably. It came out of the blue. But you know that Mickelson's career suggests that, that nothing's a fluke. But I don't think anyone thought going into Kia Island that they should put their hard-earned on Phil Mickelson. Yet he played over the course of four days, maybe some of the best golf he's played in his career. And so... Um, although there are emerging young players that are going to you know, dominate the headlines and Ram won the US Open when 10 players were uh, kind of lined up coming around the final final bend. Um, and, and Colin Morikawa will be part of you know, golfing history going forward with what he's achieved over the last couple of years. The tournament that kind of stands out for me is, is Mickelson winning out of nowhere at Kiora Island and, and I think that one and you know, becoming the oldest major champion in history I think that one kind of sticks out as a bit of an outlier for me OK uh, I tend to agree with you actually I, I'd nearly almost forgotten I was thinking about Matsuyama but I, I, I'm now with you I'm now with you Phil uh, and I'll be with you Saturday morning at 7 o'clock as well mate look forward to your show then thanks for uh, coming on today yeah, very good Smitty cheers mate yeah, Phil Tolterangi there, folks. Uh, of course, teared up with Phil Saturday mornings at 7 o'clock. And uh, we will have uh, just an opportunity now to read out some texts in a moment or two, uh, and then in multi before uh, the break at 10 o'clock. Jared Hoyata, after 10 o'clock, he's uh, the assistant coach of the Babas playing on the, the, this weekend against the New Zealand Development 15 in Taupo. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A number of texts uh, coming in, agreeing, disagreeing, whatever you like, uh, have a crack. Morning, Smithy. I think Ashwin and co were relying on us to attack, but good on them too from not taking a wick in the first session. Um, that was a, a, a really good performance from them. Uh, hi, Smithy. I agree with you. I felt we had a chance to win the game, but after lunch we lost Will quickly. Yeah, we, Will, Will Somerville is a night watchman. You can't really factor that in. I mean, he wasn't going to be a threat to win the game, but what he did do, I thought, warranted perhaps a, a rethink on the situation. Can you honestly believe that uh, Kane Williamson thought when Will, uh, that uh, when Will Somerville and Tom Latham went out to bat that he would not have a to bat before lunch? You believe that? Really? Uh, Will, uh, ironically, uh, they uh, were able to keep the runs ticking along. Well, Somerville was probably our most aggressive batsman on the day. I felt we got to tee, they would reassess, but after wicket was tumbled and rear guard action applied, how Ravindra and Patel survived the last few overs with light checks uh, after every over and a persistent defence uh, was commendable. Yes, Jared, uh, it was. It was, really was uh, a good defensive effort when it had to be at the end. I hasten to say when it had to be. Uh, don't, don't think you were taking into account how well Yaraf bowled when Williamson came in. Yes, I am. Uh, when we had them 5 for 50-odd in the second innings, that's when we should have been a lot more positive. Um, it's interesting. How do we seem to have Bangladesh here so regularly, Smithy? It's hard to get excited about them touring in the new year. Quite uh, absolutely agree, Richard. There'll be some reason why we have it there. Is it part of the test charter? Uh, I do not know. Um, but certainly we, we do tend to see them a lot, don't we? Uh, another one on a totally different uh, thing. Hey, Smithy, didn't Staff do uh, Moe's in sport a week or so ago? Sir Peter Blake coming out on top. Mm, it could be wrong. Uh, you're probably right, Aaron, actually. But we decided to do it. John and I decided to do it as a last day tribute to Movember. It, that's all. It's the only ra- reason we did it. The last uh, day tribute to Movember. And uh, that's when the Razors can come out tomorrow if uh, the missus doesn't like you having a moustache. Uh, and here's a, a top four 
for you, Grizz Wiley, David Boone, Cliffy Lyons, Kevin Borovich. All very, very worthy candidates. Very worthy candidates. Mm, Grizz Wiley, who never forget that. Booney, Cliff Lyons from Manly, of course, Kevin, Kevin Borovich. Keep them coming in uh, because none of those four are in my top four. Don't even consider any of them. And 9.52 here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Equipment, equipment failure. Uh, right, let's uh, look at uh, yesterday. The Baltimore Ravens did beat Cleveland in the end, so we got that one home. And yes, the Memphis Grizzlies beat the Sacramento Kings. But unfortunately, the Toronto Raptors could not beat the Catholics. Uh, oh, sorry, the Celtics. Did I say the Catholics there? They beat the Celtics. Uh, $1.87. Uh, yeah, Freudian slip. Talk about a Freudian slip. Uh, yeah, okay, so that didn't get up. Let's uh, get on to today's one. Uh, Washington Wizards to beat the San Antonio Spurs at a buck fifty-eight. Uh, and college football, NCAA college football, uh, Canisius to beat Cornell, a one dollar forty-three. Uh, Washington football team in the NFL to beat Seattle. This is the team that was renamed uh, because they had to lose their name, the Washington Redskins. So they are now the Washington football team. They had to beat Seattle at a buck ninety-two uh, as part of uh, Monday Night Football, as such. Four dollars. 33 is the end result there. Actually, I watched a terrific documentary. It's on Netflix, actually. Actually, it's part of uh, crime and sport almost. It's basically what it's about. It's about a guy called Headache Smith um, and his cohorts at Arizona State University on fixing basketball games. I'd never heard of it, I must say. But what a riveting, absolutely riveting a part of Netflix it is. So just a little tip for you. If you've got uh, uh, an hour or so to spare, it's... It's very, very interesting on uh, what money did for uh, young people back in those days, the, the quick buck uh, to sacrifice a brilliant career in the making. Uh, we're talking a lot about moustaches here this morning because it's the top four moustaches for Mount Rushmore for us today. How about Peter Plumley Walker? Most don't get any better than that, says Dave. Well, you're right, Dave. And uh, you could throw Peter Plumley Walker in there because he was, was always a cricket umpire. He was a cricket umpire on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, the other five days or six days a week, he was a travel agent. But whenever it hit the headlines, it was a cricket umpire. Uh, incredible. Uh, however, um, he was an interesting man who met uh, a very interesting and very, very famous demise uh, at the hands of Rene Chignall. And how do I remember the name Rene Chignall? Well, it just stuck in my mind. That's all. It just stuck in my mind. Just like the name Jared Hoyata does. And uh, Jared Hoyata will be with us after the break coaching assistant coach of the New Zealand Barbars this weekend. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport. Ten o'clock. I'm Trudy Nelson with ECNZ News. All three police officers who were members of the Armed Offenders Squad are recovering in Auckland City Hospital after being shot yesterday. One suffered serious injuries and needed surgery, while two others are stable. The man who fired his gun at police and neighbours in Glen Eden yesterday was fatally shot after the incident. Meantime, the Sensible Sentencing Trust is now pushing for police to be armed ongoing. 
Vital hospital building projects in Auckland are being delayed for months by questions over fire designs and especially the safe evacuation of smoke-filled rooms. Stroke, rehab and baby care units are all affected, as well as a catheter lab and renal dialysis project. After a bumpy start, Sweden once again has its first female Prime Minister with Magdalena Andersson re-elected as the Nordic nation's head of government. Ms Andersson resigned just seven hours after first being elected PM last week as her coalition, the Greens, pulled out over budget concerns. But she's now been asked to form a one-party minority government. Ghislaine Maxwell targeted young girls for sexual abuse by Jeffrey Epstein, a US prosecutor has told in this morning's opening statement in the trial of the former British socialite. Over 10 years, Maxwell, a former romantic partner of Epstein's, allegedly sent gifts, lingerie and discussed sexual topics with the girls to win their trust before encouraging them to give Epstein massages, according to charges against her. Epstein died in jail in 2019 while awaiting trial on sex abuse charges. 59-year-old Maxwell has pleaded not guilty to Eight charges of sex trafficking and other crimes. SENZ Radio.NZ Sports coming up. Zoom Pharmacy. Prescription medicine delivery to your door anywhere in New Zealand. League player Brandon Smith's explosive sports podcast is being investigated by the NRL. The Kiwi League star is facing being kicked to the curb by the storm after dropping a bombshell. He wants to win a premiership in a rooster's jumper and his signature with the club is expected any time soon. The storm is weighing up the prospect of cutting the Kiwi loose with one year left to run on his current deal. Everything that's happening in sport, SENZradio.nz. Slow moving front will move on to the lower North Island today, delivering rain to the area. Rain will become heavy about the Tatadua range and a warnings now in force. Fine breaks though for the upper north and all of the South Island today. And the answers to Baz and Izzy's radio frequencies right across the day to win cash here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, just when you thought the rugby season might be over, well, it's far from it. In fact, uh, there's a big game this weekend in Taupo at Delaney Park with the New Zealand Barbarians set to take on the Heartland 15. The Barbars will be coached by Warren Gatland and assisting him will be former All Black Jared Hoyata, of course assistant coach for Taranaki as well. And uh, for him, an exciting opportunity, I'm sure, to uh, get alongside uh, one of the game's most um, prominent coaches. Jared, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Smitty. Yeah, nice to talk to you, mate. Uh, hey, this is uh, this is a nice little bonus at the end of the season to, to do some work with Warren Gatland. Yeah, mate, it's a great opportunity. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, just kind of got chucked in last minute, but um, to coach with someone and learn off someone like uh, Gats um, is, is huge for me, yeah. So let's uh, talk about uh, how, how you go about or how they go about picking the New Zealand Barbarians to take on this Heartland 15. That, what kind of pool of players were you looking at? Yeah, I think because of the COVID, um, it was cut down a bit. So I think you see there's no South, in, um, no South Island boys in there. Um, and then with Auckland being in lockdown, it's kind of it's a, more of a central lower North Island um, side because of logistics, but um, it's still a really young, exciting team. Um, I'm really looking forward to coaching them. 
Okay, you've been working uh, alongside Neil Barnes this uh, this uh, particular year for Taranaki, and uh, that has been a mighty successful combination because the team obviously very well performed. A terrific season. Yeah, man, it was very pleasing. Uh, we've had a couple of lean years here um, in Taranaki, so it was good to turn that around and, and, and put a bit of a, a stellar year, really, together. Um, the, the boys were outstanding, Um as, as, a, as a whole unit, so it was, it was a pleasure to be a part of. Damn shame about the, the promotional side of things, but uh, I think it was a, a testament to the squad that, that didn't deter uh, the fact that they went on and won. No, that's right. Uh, we can't change that, mate. Although the, the gaffer, um, the old master Barnsley's at work with New Zealand Rugby trying to change the competition, so hopefully he can get that done, mate. He's a, a man of many talents, but... Um, yeah, no, that wasn't. We didn't worry about that, mate. We just wanted to win that that championship after, like I said, a couple of lean years. So the boys really bought into what we were trying to achieve and and, and played some outstanding footy. You had a proud tradition playing in the amber and black jersey, but predominantly, uh, of course, you played at Yarrow Stadium and New Plymouth. What what about Inglewood as a base? Yeah, oh, mate, it's 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 been tough to be honest. Um, yeah, I played all my all my rugby arrows, like you say, which is um, hello turf around here. But um, mate, the people out at Inglewood have been outstanding supporting us, especially through these times of COVID. You know, with all sorts of restrictions in place. But our team, our community team, has done a great job getting bubbles and um, you know thinking outside the square to get fans in. So it's it's been good out there. But looking forward to getting back to Euro. So you're just starting out, uh, Jared, on your uh, coaching career, of course. Uh, uh, what did you learn? Perhaps so. Uh, you, you look at the gaffer, the hard-nosed gaffer that uh, is Neil Barnes. What, what did you learn? Uh, take from from working alongside Barnesy? Uh, just the amount of detail he puts into his work and the amount of hours. Um, he's an amazing work rate, um, and then just his trust in his players. Like at the end of the end of the season, I was down to my seventh and eighth string locks. The bloody All Blacks keep pinching them, and then um, through injury, so. And those guys just keep coming in. We trusted the club guys would come in and do a job for us and the guys from the academy and they just keep coming in and, and performing so they, they can be very proud of the effort. And that reminds me, actually, Josh Lord. Uh, what an amazing transformation. Well, I mean, one week you think you've got him for the season and all of a sudden he's putting on a black jersey and gone. What a what, um, terrific opportunity for him. Yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough for that kid. I've had him since he came into the academy here, so... Spent a lot of time with him, um, and he's just a top kid. Um, comes from a, a great family over in Tomaranui there as well. Um, really good people, so I just rap for him. In terms of his rugby ability, mate, he's, he's outstanding, as you've seen. He's a, he's a real talent. Probably a bit earlier um, into the All Blacks that, that we would have thought, but um, as you've seen the games he got, mate, he, he, he didn't look out of place at all. He's got a massive future. Uh, he, he was, yeah, massive future, all right. Uh, uh, let's look at, at Jared Hoata. And I mean, I remember you, uh, obviously, uh, Jared commentated a lot of games you played. I'm pretty uncompromising, hard no sort of a, a, a lock in your day. And uh, I, I must admit, I, I didn't know if uh, you were going to go straight into coaching. What got you into that? Um, yeah, I think in my early days, I definitely didn't think it was um, something I'd do. I did go to teacher's college, so um, I did enjoy that side of it. Um, and then playing for as long as I did, I think my last my last game when I was 37, so I had a, a bloody long career, and probably the last five years of that, you kind of end up being a bit of a player coach, looking after and bringing through the younger guys, which I really enjoyed. 
Um, I'm the eldest of six too, so I've kind of just got a bit of a natural inkling to looking after younger people and, and helping them out and bringing them through. So it's a, it's a bit of a passion of mine. And um, I've always had a bit of an eye to detail around the lineouts, although, you know, my game, like you say, my game probably didn't show that because I was all about um, trying to dominate and play that um, uncompromising, uncompromising footy. But um, I've always had a bit of an eye to detail around the lineouts and things like that. So um, no, it's worked out well for me so far. So you're a selector for New Zealand under-20s and the forward coach for the Chiefs under-20s, so you're, you're getting the best of, of the cream of the crop on the way as they come through. Um, so uh, how are we looking at, at, the, at the, the level, that under-20 type level? Because the growth and the future of rugby is, is so important to, uh, to New Zealand people. Yeah, it is, um, it, it's good, mate. There's some exciting growth coming through, but there are some positions of um, probably that are lacking in depth. Um, Locke being one of them that you brought up. So the 20s last year, if you look at their team, you think, geez, they've got some awesome locks, with it, which they did with Josh Lord, Fabian Holland, and the boy Gallagher from, from Christchurch. But under that, there's a real lack of genuine locks. A lot of lock, six, lock sixes coming through from school. But at that next level, um, as you know, that height, height is a real key, and we're probably just lacking there a little bit. Um, but there's a lot of exciting talent still coming through, mate. I thought that um, the franchise tournament last year was, was awesome, or was it the start of this year, was, was bloody awesome. So um, I'm looking forward to being part of that again. Well, you're looking forward to being part of this uh, Barbars this weekend. Uh, what's the programme uh, for, for the week? I mean, you'll have to introduce yourself to a lot of these blokes, won't you? Yeah, a, a lot of them are, are younger kids too that kind of... Um, set in behind the NPC squad, so I'm not sure many people will know the names, but um, a lot of talent, like we've got uh, one that you probably will know is uh, Veronique, um, who was on the wing for us, who come on in, in most games and, and lit the competition alight, so he's a real excitement machine. Um, there's guys like Mills, Millennium, Finnerevi, who um, is a hooker, but ended up playing loose forward for us just through all our injuries. There's, there's some real talented guys coming through, but guys that aren't probably household names, um, at the stage. Well, the name Lahore is in the group. We noticed that. That was one of the headlines when uh, we saw the team named. Uh, grandson of the late, uh, great uh, Sir Brian Lahore. Saw him play for uh, Hawks Bay against Northland. Uh, he looks a fairly bruising sort of player, one that you could probably do some serious work with. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, actually. Um, by all accounts, he's a real student of the game, very diligent. Um, I think for Hawks Bay, he'd run the opposition line out um, during the week, which is a, a key role, really. Um, so he's making himself invaluable for for NPC squad already as a young fella. Um, it'll be interesting to see, because the last time I saw him, he was doing a good job at, at school. I think it's Hastings Boys, I think he was playing for, and, he, and that, um, that side was, was pretty good. And um, But he's one of those guys that I spoke about, those guys coming through that are kind of like the lock six type size. So it'll be interesting to see if he's, he's yeah. grown a bit taller or if he's going to be a genuine Lucy. Uh, Jared, it'd be interesting to just uh, just briefly get your opinion on uh, what we saw uh, on that All Black tour. Uh, the old adage: the game is won up front. We lost the last two tests to Ireland and France. Um, do, we, do we have to rejig, our, rejig ourselves here? Do we have to find a harder edge, a, a more physical edge? Uh, do you think going forward? Yeah, it's a tough question. Um, not being in there, those. You know, I played a couple. I played three years over in the UK and a year in France. So I, I know how massive those guys are. I think when I played in France, I was one of the smallest locks in the whole competition. 
they just got monsters over there. So if you need to really come in from real detail, and I'm not sure if the All Blacks really hit that detail for the last couple of games. Um, to beat these guys, you know, if you try to match them just with physicality, like we've done for years with South Africa, if you've got to you've got to uh, match their physicality, of course, but you've got to have that extra detail to get around those things. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Just from the outside in, I, I thought they lacked a little bit there, but um, you know, that's that's just coming from my armchair critic like myself. Yeah, uh, well, a lot of people sitting in armchairs similar to you with the same opinions, uh, Jared. So, uh, hey, thanks very much for your input this morning. Uh, look forward to your uh, performance as an assistant coach with the Barbars this week, but uh, ongoing as well. Um, exciting aspirations, I'm sure, you've got in the game. So we'll look forward to uh, perhaps catching up with you again in the future. Thank you so much. No, thanks a lot for me. Yeah, cheers, Jared. We are to the former All Black, of course, proud, proud, proud Taranaki man and able to coach alongside Neil Barnes. He's associated too uh, with the Chiefs uh, at uh, an under-20 level and New Zealand rugby as well. So... Uh, big things perhaps on the horizon, what a hard and compromising uh, workhorse he was. Jared Hoyata, um, if, uh, if there was a penalty, you know he might have been close, close by at certain times um, because he always had his nose on the ball and a nose on the action. He's tough, very, very tough. So I think he's the perfect kind of guy to get alongside our young guys to put that harder edge on. Uh, Clayton says uh, in the text this morning, if New Zealand are world champions, God help cricket. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's an interesting uh, and quite to the point text, uh, Clayton. On the back of the, f- the fact that uh, we thought perhaps they might have uh, just pursued the possibility of a victory a tad more aggressively, uh, whether they even thought about it at all, I do not know. Um, but I, I just look, I, I'm, I listened to a bit of Baz this morning, and I think Baz tempered himself a wee bit there at times. Uh, I can't think. I can't imagine that uh, Brendan McCullum getting into a situation that we were at lunch wouldn't have sat round and thought, right, here's a great opportunity. I mean, how often have we had the opportunity to beat India in India? Done it twice in, what, 70, 60 years? Here's an opportunity uh, to uh, ride ourselves into a possibility of winning. Are we prepared to lose to win? That is another question. Are we prepared to lose to win? Uh, interesting. Um, Morena Smithy, uh, showing my age again, the moustache list is from uh, my great friend Hone from Tokomaro Bay. Uh, he says, and I think he likes Australian cricket here. What do you reckon? David Boone, uh, DK Lilly, Merv Hughes and Rod Marsh. I think uh, Hone might just uh, like the Aussies in terms of their cricket. He loves their moustaches anyway. Very good. Best ever moustache in New Zealand sport for such a long time. Sir Richard Hadley. And he's still pulling it off today, says Glenn from guess where? Christchurch. Uh, Merv Hughes says, uh, Chris, don't need to go any further. Uh, you're dreaming about winning the test, says Chris. You're dreaming. Uh, sounds like that ad on TV, isn't it? You're dreaming, Jonesy. Are you dreaming, Smithy, about winning the test? Probably am. Uh, just the positive side of Smithy coming out this morning. Uh, one, Keith Murdoch. Yes, great moustache. Absolutely. Two, Bernie Fraser. Yes, great moustache. Uh, three, Ken Gringo Granger. Gringo Granger. Absolutely, what a moustache that was. Uh, Manawatu, of course, all black Manawatu winger, a flyer, Gringo Granger, and Murray McStead. Murray McStead, Max, yep, fantastic number eight jersey, and that beautifully groomed, beautifully groomed, almost Mexican like moustache uh, coming down the side. That's uh, Chris. Uh, Dean comes in, Merv Hughes, David Boone, Graham Gooch, paddles. Simply, simply, really, simple, really. Okay. 
Very, very good indeed. Um, other texts has just come in, uh, and on a sad note too, uh, AG Small also uh, named uh, AG Tony, Tony died yesterday. Uh, he was pretty much a legend in the Hawke's Bay area, actually. I knew him. Uh, he used to pop into Turks every now and then. Uh, prolific bowler as well in uh, later life. Um, he was a legend in his time, though. Kicked more than one, kicked a goal, more goals than one DB Clark. Um, the Bay people probably know that. He coached the Bay. Uh, liked and owned the odd horse and was a good friend to uh, Cal Tremaine in the day as well. He played cricket well, pretty well too, uh, in the Mike Shrimpton era. So just letting people know that, that's a bit of a public notice really. If you hadn't known that, yeah, Tony Small, A.G. Small, passed away yesterday after a pretty long illness. It is 10.17 here on SENZ and we shall be uh, talking to the panel this morning. Dave Worsley is coming off the bench, uh, as he always does for us in Guy Havelt who probably will have to stand on the bench. Well, we've uh, got the height and the experience of uh, Dave Worsley this morning uh, on the panel, and then we've got Guy Havel. So uh, we've mixed it up a wee bit, so that'll be uh, very interesting indeed. Guy, we'll, we'll start with you uh, to begin with. Uh, Black Caps, uh, what did you make of it? Was it a wonderful survival or an opportunity gone begging? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Dave. Morning, everyone. Uh, just just before I get into that, I did hear your cheeky bit of Tuesday niggle about me standing on the bench, Smithy, which is uh, completely fair enough. Good to see you're on form early in the week. Uh, uh, look, um, I, I I thought in the end it was a it was a very good result for the Black Caps, a good graft to get the draw. Look, I I am slightly disappointed that uh, it had to come to that in the sense that when they were what, one or two down, needing about 180-odd, I think it was, with, with about two sessions to go. I thought they were a real chance of getting that. Uh, obviously, on Indian conditions, it's spinning a lot. You've got uh, uh, Ravi Ashwin and, and, and Jadeja, um, you know, causing a bit of trouble. It, it always adds an element to it, but, but you know, that was... I, I did feel like at the time that that was a great opportunity for New Zealand to pull off what would have been a, a very, very famous win. They lost a couple of wickets, and I think that's when, um, you know, certainly I and obviously the team as well maybe were resigned to the fact that a draw was the best result, and then they lost a few more wickets, and it really became trying to hold on for that draw. So so after that, after they lost those couple of early wickets, um, uh, I, well, early wickets in the second session, I should say, uh, that was when a, a draw was, was the best result. And so, you know, taking all of that in, uh, yeah, pretty pretty happy again with the way that this team has gone about things. Uh, you know, if you had it said to me before that game that it would have gone down to the fifth day and they would have pulled off a draw, uh, I would have taken that. Uh, this is another another top result. And, and I think Simon Bill made a, a good point in commentary, actually, that uh, looking at the overall view of things in the World Test Championship, if you go to India and get a drawn series, uh, that's a tick in the right box, I think. So, yeah, if, if, we take a, if we take a step back and look at it overall, uh, I would say a bit of a positive. Dave, uh, what was your take on uh, what you possibly saw yesterday? Yeah, what I saw was, uh, I, I guess I look at an international match or anybody playing any sport, it's your first objective is to win. Your second objective is to not lose. Your third objective is to lose but annoy your opposition. So I think we achieved the middle ground there, and uh, I think we can be satisfied with that result. But it feels like one of your high school exams. Unsatisfied, but you managed to actually get through it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, actually. Yeah, It's a pass mark. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right, Dave. It's yeah, a pass. Yeah, it's mark. a pass, but, but, you, but I, it's. Are we only saying it's a pass mark because we've um, come to expect so much of this Black Cats team now because of, of what they have achieved in the last few years? You know, I think going to India for any team uh, is, is an incredibly tough task. You know, even, even the likes of Australia at the peak of their powers, going to India to win a test, let alone a series, is, is the toughest assignment in test cricket. Um, and, and the fact that they've gone over there and... And for a lot of that test, and maybe this is where the disappointment slightly comes in, for a lot of that test, they were in really a winning position. The disappointment for me comes from probably the bowling, where they had them 51 for five. Uh, they brought on Rush and Ravindra uh, when they had India on the ropes. And with all due respect to Rush and Ravindra, he's not your wicket-taking bowler. Uh, at that stage, I would have liked to have seen uh, a Jameson or a Southie or someone like that come in and, and try and put even more pressure on them. That was where... The disappointment came in for me, but uh, I think maybe our expectations have just grown exponentially with this team, and maybe that's where the disappointment sits in. Yeah, I think we're entitled to let them grow um, because at the end of the day, um, Dave Worsley, we are the number one ranked team in the world. We are the world champions. We we uh, set the bar, and you don't get very often a chance to win in India. I'll say that you you just. And you don't win well, by just uh, t- taking your foot off the pedal. That's true, but I think the point that Guy made earlier about um, you know coming away from India without a loss, you know, most of another test to go, is is one of your keys because you would think that you always aim to win your matches at home, and we know that we've got the conditions that suit us. India have got the conditions that suit them. I mean, you know, gee, look at some of their bowlers. Doesn't matter if they run in front of the umpire all the time, but I mean, you know, you you try. <laughs> or think you should be able to win at home. Yep, uh, I, 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 agree. I agree. Look, uh, it's, it's a great subject, actually, because uh, it sort of polarises a few people, and then those people in the middle ground that are happy to take a draw every now and then. Uh, um, let's uh, look, Dave, at uh, the breakers who have been beset with COVID, uh, have asked uh, the NBL for a, a little bit of a postponement, but had it turned down, so they have to start with perhaps even out without their head coach and a couple of key players in about uh, 10 days' time. Now, would you think that the Sydney Kings, if they were in the same situation, would have the same result? Uh-uh. They would be, oh, please, Sydney Kings, we need Sydney to do well in basketball. Yes, whatever you want, we'll do whatever you want, whenever you want. It, that's just the way it goes. We know that Australians running the, the franchises over there, whether it's basketball, whether it's... Uh, uh, rugby league, whether it's um, football, will do whatever suits them for their market. Sure, we're a market of potentially 5 million people, but Sydney is big, and they have to get Sydney working, and they have to get all their other franchises working. New Zealand, yeah, what do you bring to us? Yeah, you're not going to win it this year, according to us. In fact, any year, yeah, we just do what we want. And that's it. So I just, I just believe if it was on the other foot of a big Australian team, particularly the Sydney Kings, they would change whatever they need any time. So, yeah, not unexpected. Okay, guy would have been would have been too tough just to give them a, a, a sort of a, a stay of execution of a week and and reschedule that match. Would have been that tough. Uh, Smithy, they've been shafted, mate. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. There's, there's no way of saying it any less. They've been absolutely shafted by the NBL. Uh, this is a season that runs for about four or five months. Uh, you cannot tell me that over that four or five months there wouldn't have been a way for the NBL to figure out a day 
where this game could have been replayed at a better time. We're in the middle of a global pandemic at the moment. They know that. Uh, good on them for trying to get a season in. But this stuff is going to come out throughout it. If you're going to force teams who have to sit out some of their best players throughout the season and then force them to play, uh, I just think that that undermines your competition and, and, and kind of makes it look a little bit average. I think it's a disgraceful decision. Uh, I really feel for the breakers who once again are thrown into a, a really average position in terms of not being able to play at home. And a lot of that is out of anyone's hands. But everything is up against them. They get this situation again out of their hands. You can't blame anyone for getting COVID. It's just what happens. Um, you know, and, and now they're once again being put in a, a terrible situation. Uh, I think uh, this is just a, a shocking decision by the NBL, and I really feel for the breakers on, on a lot of fronts. Tend to agree. Absolutely tend to agree. Uh, fellas, stay, stay with us, please, if you can. 10.30 here. We'll take a quick news break with Trudy and then we'll come back with a couple of other issues. Talk, big opinions, the panel. Guy Havelt, Dave Worsley uh, with us this morning uh, as we look at a number of issues. And fellas, I jumped away from the cricket perhaps a little bit too prematurely because uh, the next test, believe it or not, starts just on this Friday. Uh, Guy, looking at the team, and and let's take away the heroics of trying to save it and saving it with the bat, uh, in terms of a make-up to try and assumedly win the next one, what what changes would you make even now? Yeah, it's a conundrum a little bit, Smithy. I've, I've got to be honest, because what I expect will now happen is that uh, the Indians will, will implore the groundsmen to make it very dusty and, and turn an absolute mile. Uh, so they'll want that because that obviously plays into their hands. So then that leaves the Black Caps the question, do they stick with three spinners in the hope that it does, of course, turn, or do they go back to Neil Wagner? I think they really miss Neil Wagner in this test. I, I think Neil Wagner's the type of bowler who on any pitch can seemingly get anything out of it, even if it's not meant to favour uh, pace bowling. Uh, so I would be looking to bring him back in, and to be honest, uh, even though I, I thought Russian Ravindra was 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 you know pretty good on debut or not too bad at least I would have given him a pass mark uh, I would probably take him out for for um, for Neil Wagner or or you or you take out Will Somerville who unfortunately didn't look a, as good with the ball either but I do think that you probably need two full time spinners at least uh, you know whatever pitch they serve up in India because it's at least going to turn at some stage and. Uh, I think you you probably put your spinning faith in some of all over Ravindra in that regard anyway. So, yeah, I, I suspect that they'll probably, um, well, this is what I would do. I'd probably replace uh, Ravindra with Wagner myself. OK, Dave, what about you? Yeah, I'm a little bit curious here. Just uh, if Devin Conway had have, uh, not attacked his bat, where would you have put him in the team? And who would you have dropped, firstly, on that? Because so I'm sort of thinking, well, hang on, if we had to put him in, who would have gone? And then if we bring in, uh, say, um, uh, Wagner in, and we drop Ravinda, that really uh, weakens the batting lineup a little bit, doesn't it? So we're sort of in a little bit of a quandary as to our makeup of the actual 11 who take the field, as to who bats, how much depth we've got, and how many um, bowlers we've actually got as well. I'm, I'm really curious about this. I wouldn't like to be the selective and coach on this one because, you know, if Conway was available, I, I don't know who we're going to kick out. And then uh, Wagner comes in. Okay, we've said Ravindra, uh, maybe Somerville. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. The whole balance is really up in the air. 
I, I think, uh, ironically, had Conway been available, uh, we would not have seen Will Young uh, if they looked for that no. same sort of balance. So, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's an interesting one in itself. Uh, how about this one? Uh, Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi uh, wins uh, the Ballon d'Or, effectively the World Footballer of the Year, for the seventh time, uh, Dave Worsley. Yeah, he probably wouldn't have been my uh, pick on this particular occasion. Uh, he hasn't been at his peak. Uh, oh, I, I'm trying to think of uh, the one who's really sticking out for me. I'm, I, I don't know if I've actually really got anybody who really sticks out because all the publicity tends to go to Messi or Ronaldo. It's, it's certainly in this country overall, you know, whether you're a big footballer, football fan or not, tends to go to those two. And we perhaps miss out on a lot of others who are doing well in other leagues, uh, perhaps uh, aside from the, the Spanish and maybe the English a little bit and the French. I mean, the, the thing that uh, I guess clouds it for me is just the amount of money that's talked before they even get on the field. It clouds my judgment on the players and makes me not so much dislike them, but I, but I don't get to see them play as much because I'm, it's, this money's pushed in front of my face instead. Mm, interesting guy. Would you pick him? Was he an obvious for you? Uh, Smithy, I've got to be honest. Football uh, is not something that that I that I really go out of my way to watch. Um, in saying that, I've just seen a lot of reaction from people uh, that Robert Lewandowski probably should have won it. So, uh, and that's coming from you know a lot of football people who who say that he was robbed and essentially say that FIFA, as Dave kind of alludes to, that FIFA is just bowing to one of its two big guns. Uh, in world football to, to try and, you know, keep them on a pedestal and that sort of thing. So uh, from what I've read, the instant reaction, it sounds like uh, Lewandowski was robbed and, and that uh, certainly Messi didn't deserve it anyway. But uh, it's no surprise, shall we say, that one of Messi or Ronaldo uh, took home the big prize in world football. Here's one for you, Guy Havelt, um, and this is along the Brandon Smith line. OK, so just say, for instance, you work for TVNZ. Just, we'll just pluck this out of the air. You work for TVNZ. And you turn around and said, goodness me, I really want a chance. Openly, you'd said this in the public meet, uh, forum. I really want to work for TV3. I'd really like to win a couple of news journalism awards for TV3. Uh, how long do you reckon you'd keep your job at TVNZ? <laughs> well, I'd, I'd better just lay it out. Right now, Smithy, I'm, I'm more than happy in my job. I like it at TVNZ. I've got great <laughs> colleagues, got a great gig, uh, great bosses and all that sort of thing. Uh, but, yeah, man, this was, um, this was very interesting, wasn't it? What a, what a, what a strange thing to do. Uh, I know he's been eyeing up a move for a little bit, or at least certainly his contract's been up and, and his future's been up in the year and the Roosters have been touted as a club that he was going to go to. But, you know, if, if, if you're one of his... Well, you know, if you take my my example, if 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 I had a suit there and a colleague was sitting next to me, I, I'd I'd expect them to be blowing up. And so, in that situation, I would expect his teammates to be to be rightfully pissed off at, at that sort of thing. I mean, what happens when the Melbourne Storm come up against the Roosters? Is he going to be in awe of the opposition uh, because he just, you know, he, what did he say that he gets goosebumps looking at that jersey and what it represents and how much it would mean to him to play for them? I mean. That makes it untenable, doesn't it, that he plays for the Melbourne Storm, particularly when it comes to the Roosters. Uh, I think there's a bit more to play out in this, and I, I suspect that we might not see Brandon Smith in the Melbourne Storm jersey next year. Yeah, it's 8.39 now, um, Melbourne time, Dave Worsley. I uh, just wonder whether uh, Craig Bellamy has calmed down yet, whether he's been on the blow, whether he sent an email, <laughs> or whether he's uh, starting to look around for another hooker. 
I think he's kicked a few chairs over, smashed a table up, and uh, that's just to start with. I mean, Bellamy you know, doesn't mind expressing his emotion, and I think uh, if he's uh, meeting with uh, Brandon Smith in person, that could be really interesting. If it's over the phone, I think it might be thrown against the wall at least three times. Yeah, that'll be quite an interesting <laughs> one. But I mean, yeah, really well. I mean, Smith, though, just to me, though, in a serious way, he showed a lack of class. Now, class doesn't mean money. It means just what would you say in front of your grandma? What would you say in front of your family? What would you say in front of your kids? Swearing or saying the F word 61 times in a conversation isn't up there in class. It just shows you a complete business. And there's a lot of businessness in the NRL at the moment. In fact, every single year. And they keep on saying, we're going to come down hard. Oh, complete bollocks. There is complete stupidity shown by a lot of athletes around the world. And this is up there. It's not as bad as some of the violent things or sexual nature that happens in the NRL, but this just shows complete, complete lack of class. And I'm really disappointed. You know, he's now officially not a New Zealander. He can stick over in Australia and stay there because we don't want him back anymore. When people do this sort of stuff, it really does show a lack of class. And it just shows where the NRL is at at the moment. And they need to actually up it and actually say, hey, if you're signing for a club, you can't do it until midway through your season, not at the beginning of the season or before the season's even started. My goodness, we've still got another year of this. So what's he going to do? Mm. Speak for, you, uh, Storm speak for yourself, it? Dave. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite ready to, to banish him to the Aussies yet. Crikey, the Kiwis need the Kiwis need him. He's bloody good. I'm not ready to give him <laughs> up to the Australians just yet. <laughs> well, you can interview him live. It was like interviewing Mark Hunt live on radio. Oh, my goodness. That was not easy. Have you ever done that? We ended up having to pre-record him so we could beat out all the beeps, and there needed to be a lot of beeps. He was pretty bad, the UFC fighter. Imagine taking Brendan Smith. Oh, look, we'll just take you live to air at 6 p.m., uh, 6.30. Here we go now. Uh, Guy have out. Uh, who have you got with it? Well, look, you know, we're going to do this live to air. Uh, yeah, right. Let's just break the lads. Yeah, and, and Guy Havel. You, you might want to ask him, Guy Havel, if he'd rather, rather win a world title for Australia or New Zealand. Would he rather be a kangaroo now than a well, kiwi? Oh, look, here. I'm yeah. just tongue-in-cheek. Well, yeah. It's an obvious question, though, what isn't a, it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what yeah, I really need to know from you guys, yeah, and one, uh, and one answer here, uh, it's the end of November, which means it's the end of Movember. Over the years, the best moustache you've seen in sport, Guy Havel. Well, certainly not mine, Smithy. Uh, I've been growing mine for uh, coming up 32 years now, and uh, there's not a lot to show for it, I've got to be honest. Uh, look, probably Merv Hughes. Uh, I think Merv, geez, he, he's, he's had a cracker for, for many a year now, and when, when it was absolutely at its pomp, uh, it was pretty hard to beat, so I've got to go Merv. Dave? Okay, one of mine is actually an American who, uh, he had the mow and he had the mullet. The big man, Randy Johnson, the pitcher. Now, the baseball pitcher, oh. check him out, Randy Johnson, Mo and Mullis. He was six foot nine as well. He just looked like trailer <laughs> trash. I don't know whether he wasn't, but it was just awesome. And he could pitch, Randy Johnson. There's no doubt about that. He yeah. had a fastball. Dave Worsley, thank you very much this morning for uh, your input. Uh, Guy, have, uh, you just keep that Mo going, mate. They, they say <laughs> a really strong, powerful Mo can, can add something like about uh, three to four centimetres to your normal height. Your normal stature. So you just keep working on it, son. Mate, maybe, maybe in thirty years' time, when we're doing, when we're still doing this panel, Smithy, uh, I might have something to show Jeez. for it. <laughs> if I can ring you in thirty years' time, I bloody well, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Mm. <laughs> uh, That'd be scary. Thank you, gentlemen.
Thank you very much indeed, Guy Havel and Dave Worsley. We're the panel this morning. A lot of fun, but some uh, great insight as well. Uh, a lot of uh, text to read out. Uh, this cricket's got you quite well fired up, plus the moustaches as well. We'll be back shortly here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Lots of texts coming in and uh, great to see reaction uh, to the panel as well. They won't mind at all. Uh, and from Todd, he says, uh, to say that Brandon Smith is not a Kiwi because of his comments is an unreal thing to say. That's one of the most ridiculous statements I've heard from a journo. Although in this case, he probably overstepped the line. At the same time, it is refreshing to hear an athlete speak his mind. If you listen to the entire podcast, for context, he actually has a lot of praise for the storm and what it means to him. I just hope that so-called expert you had on did listen to the whole podcast and then just taking snippets from the media, trying to generate headlines during an off-season. Well, the headline, Todd, uh, in all honesty, was, was not generated by uh, either Guy Havelt, myself, uh, or Dave Worsley. The headline has been generated by Brandon Smith. Um, that is the one that's, that's caused it. Uh, you know, OK, it's nice uh, to be in there, but when you are employed by somebody at a very high rate, when somebody has also supported you uh, when you've got yourself into a hole and they supported you uh, in getting out of that hole along the line, uh, maybe he's forgotten that as well. It was only, what, a month or two months ago he was in the spotlight for something else. Um, I, I, I kind of think you owe them just a little bit more uh, than to make comments along those lines. I mean, whilst they are giving you... Uh, your income, your lifestyle, I, I kind of think, I kind of think uh, that you are probably obliged to supporting them in, in probably 100% of the way, unless, unless you don't want to be there anymore. And maybe there's a method behind us, a method behind us madness. Uh, lots more texts to talk about. Uh, after 11 o'clock, she'll be get the opportunity. Uh, Dick Quacks, his moustache is another one. Glenn coming in from Sydney. Yep, Dick Quacks. Fantastic runner, great moustache, um, and uh, all, all sorts of other things. I think Barca deserves to win. He was good, uh, Messi, sorry, he was good for Barca, um, and voted on by 180 journalists from around the world. Uh, so Chris says uh, that's a fair amount of people uh, to have in your favour. Uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, is next, and then uh, our daily visit to the TAB. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. And speaking as this, uh, this morning uh, in this particular segment, as always, is Louis Herman Watt himself, a nominee uh, in the uh, awards, the, the Horse of the Year type awards last night. So congratulations on that nomination, uh, Louis. Uh, Probabil taking out the big award. No surprise there. Yeah, no surprise. Probabil shows a bit more excellence and winning ability than me. Uh, rolled on the line by Andre of racing this time. Well-deserved and well done, mate. Congratulations. Um, look, Probabil, I mean, it just felt like the obvious answer. Sometimes you shouldn't overthink these things. Uh, who's the best horse in New Zealand? Who would win the most races if they all lined up together? And what do we quantify as success in New Zealand racing at the moment? Well, the reality is the thing that everyone wants is Group 1 races and wins in Australia. Probably won the Futurity and the Exum. She beat really good horses. She won other group races. She was consistent. 
She lost in the Queen of the Turf, where it was a terrible ride by Kieran McAvoy that was swinging off her at the 600, and she got rolled by, I think it was Natoya. It was just a fantastic season. It was an awesome season. The scary thing is, Smithy, she came back this year and beat Zaki. So is she just going to go back-to-back? I mean, she's got to be the double-ten favourite this far out anyway. And any other uh, notables in those awards last night? Uh, incidentally, folk, they were done uh, remotely because of COVID. Yeah, yeah, but an awesome job by Andrew Bensley and the team to, to get it done. And it was awesome that SCNZ got to uh, sponsor that horse of the year. Um, look, Tiafel cleaned up. No one's really that surprised there. Uh, the Chosen One won the staying race, um, the staying horse. Uh, Melody Bell got a nod. She's obviously moved on now and as the best middle distance horse. She was just unbelievable in that Livermore she won. Um, what else do we have? David Smith from Dunstan Horse Feeds got a super well-deserved um, you know, contribution to racing award. The New Zealand Thoroughbred uh, contribution to racing award. He's just done so much for the industry as its Tarapa chairman and Waikato Racing Club chairman and also with his work with Dunstan. So, yeah, it was, it was nice evenly spread. Jamie Richards cleaned up the premiership, no surprise. But Danielle Johnson, Jockey of the Year, again, no surprises, riding 160-odd winners or whatever it was. So, brilliant effort from everyone to make it happen and some really well-deserved winners, Philly. Thanks very much, Louis. Uh, over to the TAB, BP, Brendan Popperwell. May have been Presenter of the Year. I, I might have missed that one. No, if not, he should have been. Morning to you, BP. <laughs> Good morning, Smithy. Yes, uh, yeah, great to be able to catch up with those awards um, over the last uh, twelve months. Uh, um, yeah, no, it's, it was great to see it get that off, get that off the ground. Now, quickly into some Monday night football for you, and very evenly yep. spread here in this match. Washington football team one ninety seven, Seahawks one seventy five. Can you tell you though, punters have taken the one ninety seven. I know you've got it in your Smithy multi as well with Washington. Mm. Uh, that has been the best supported. Just through the NBA coming up as well, Smithy, a very popular multi is Bulls, Heat, and the Philadelphia 76ers. They're all short, but it does combine up uh, to be a nice three-way multi of around $2.32, which is right in your wheelhouse. Okay, it is too. Thanks, BP Bulls, Heat, and 76ers. I'll mark that down. That's uh, thanks to Brendan Popwell uh, from the TAB. A big week for boxing across the Tasman. Uh, they got a new world champion. Uh, Convulsus Jr., an outstanding performance uh, now. Uh, where does that rate for Dean Lonigan? And can he get a piece of the action, more importantly? Uh, that's what we'll be asking Dino after 11 o'clock. In the meantime, it's Trudy with the news. The sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, 11.02, hopefully we'll be talking to uh, Dean Lonigan from uh, across the Tasman. I assume he's across the Tasman. Uh, he may well have uh, snuck back into New Zealand, uh, but uh, he's uh, not with us uh, at this point. Uh, so we'll just get a little bit of uh, feedback, actually, a little bit of post-match comment from uh, Kane Williamson on the back of that uh, draw in the end for the Black Caps, where they held out to deny India right at the very post. I suppose the beauty of Test cricket, really, where um, there can be a lot of excitement and, and a draw. And, you know, for us coming into the day, it was um, trying to bat long periods. We know we're up against a, a very strong side um, and that of India, you know, a formidable um, attack. And so it was trying to take the game as deep as possible. And, and they managed to pick up a few wickets and put us under pressure along the way. But 
um, you know, a number of uh, really valuable contributions that got us, um, you know, to that point. And, and obviously when the win was, was out of the question, a, a draw was the next best option to try and fight for. And there was, you know, a lot of um, effort going into to trying to achieve that. And, um, you know, the, the two at the end, uh, obviously Ruchin in his, his first test match and, and Ajaz as well, um, you know, showed a, a lot of ticker to, to bat those those few overs there and against you know high quality world class spin um, as the the light was dimming so it was um, you know really exciting day. Well, uh, there you go. That's uh, Kane Williamson with uh, pretty much uh, a Kane Williamson answer uh, as you would expect, and uh, reflected the the fact that uh, they possibly at one point were thinking about winning the game, but very quickly uh, decided that that was uh, out of the equation. And let's go on and, and try and draw it. And in the end, uh, he had a couple of uh, young heroes of um, Indian descent. And that was uh, quite romantic in itself, wasn't it? Of course, um, Ajas Patel and uh, Rachan Ravindra able to save the match for us uh, in fading light. <clears throat> Speaking of of saving things uh, and a saviour of of people, to be honest, uh, we're, we're now joined by uh, our great mate, Dean Lonigan from across the Tasman, of course, uh, they're on a high now in terms of boxing. They have a new world champion, George Cambosos Jr. And uh, first question to Dean Lonergan is one the whole of New Zealand would probably want to ask you, Dino, is uh, are you part of this action or are you going to get part of this action? That's a really good question, Smitty. Um, the answer is no, I'm not part of the action. I've, uh, I've spoke to George probably three or four years ago and looked to signing him. Couldn't quite get him over the line, and he went with a guy called uh, Lou Bella, who has got a huge amount of um, fighters overseas, and they've done an amazing job with him, fighting them all around the world. And of course, George is now a unified champion, which is very, very, very hard to do. Beating an excellent fighter in Tiafimo Lopez. I watched the fight on Sunday, I think it was, on DAZN, and really enjoyed it. I just couldn't believe how good George went, and was just cheering him along, and made it great to see. And the Australian box is on a big high at the moment. I was going to say, just tell us about Australian boxing, Dino. You're you're at the hub of it. Uh, how does it compare to, um, you know, when we're at our peak with our David Tours and our Joseph Parkers, Shane Cameron's? So what kind of next level is it, mate? It's 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 struggling, it's fluttering, and slowly getting there. Right? The Australians want to see absolute excellence. They want to see world class contests or or high profile locals fighting each other. And it's definitely been on the back burner for the last sort of four or five years since I've been in the market. I've been pushing it as hard as I can go. But uh, Fox Sport and News Corporation are starting to come on board big time because they're starting to see some decent returns through pay-per-view revenues. So as a result between them and, of course, the results that are starting to come in from overseas, uh, it's really starting to you know, kick into gear. It's always going to play second fiddle to NRL uh, and, of course, the AFL, which are the two biggest sports over there. And, of course, in cricket, uh, sorry, in summer, Smitty, your favourite sport, cricket's a big deal over there. But I think boxing can, you know, can take up a second and third place in the summer and winter uh, times. And, mate, we, it's, it, it's definitely growing. There's no argument with that. Right. Well, you're, you're home at the moment, I understand, which is uh, cool that you may not able to get home, but... Um, it doesn't mean to say you're, you're not working at, at, at who's in your stable. You've got, uh, of course, young uh, heavyweight uh, Justice Hooney who beat Paul Gallen. Um, so uh, you're trying to line up some, some action for him against possibly Junior Farr, is that right? We've got a massive year planned for Justice next year, Smithy. We start on February 4 against a guy called Joseph Goodall, 
who comes from Brisbane. He's a Commonwealth Games silver medalist, and he trained by none other than Kevin Barry. And uh, so we're in for a hell of a fight with him on February 4. Then we are probably fighting uh, on, a, on, a, on a world title undercard, which I'm organising, for another, another fighter of mine called Jaya Bataya. I'm just working my way through the contract for that right now. And then, of course, we'd like to fight Junior Farr on May 4. And Guthrie is going to have a total of seven fights next year. And I've got to tell you, Smitty, that's a hell of a lot of fights and a hell of a lot of organisation. And for the last sort of two or three months that I've been back in New Zealand, just been sort of setting the whole year up, you know, as we go. And we've got some big fights in there with world title fights. And I fully expect Justice Hoon to become one of the all-time greats in, uh, in heavyweight boxing in Australia and you know, even the world. This guy's very, very talented. And, um, mate, we're in for a massive year. And I can tell you, it's a lot of work, Smitty, and a lot of stress. And unfortunately, when I get stressed, I eat a bit too much and my tummy's getting fatter and fatter all the time. Well, I must be very stressed as well, um, if that's the way things go. <laughs> um, here, here we, uh, what about this fellow? Uh, this is an exciting young prospect in Opataya, 20-0 in the cruiserweight division. What are your plans for him? Well, we've got a, I'm working, Jai's been granted what's been called a mandatory. So Jai was number three in the world, and I've had him for a couple of years. So I'm planning on March 23 next year, uh, either in Sydney or on the Gold Coast, for Jai to have a world title fight against the number one cruiserweight in the world, Marius Breedis. Uh, um, and as we talked, Smitty, just, be, just before you rang me, I was uh, working my way through that contract as we speak to try and get it done, and there's some preconian things in there. So it's like you've got to take these bloody, these, these very, very sharp operators overseas who come from a combination of bloody London and Germany, and you've got to headbutt them down to try and get a deal that works for everybody. So I'm just working my way through that. If Jai Opataya can win that world title at home, he will become a megastar overnight, and mate, we'll be on a hell of a journey yet again with another world champion. So she's exciting times, Smithy, but there are no guarantees of winning these fights, so all you can do is put them on the platform and... Uh, and let, you know, let them uh, succeed to the level that they're capable of. Well, if you can, if Australia can boast Combosos Junior, Hernie, and Opatia all at the same time, I mean, uh, and that's got to be um, one of the great golden eras, isn't it? Going back to the Fennec days and and those uh, the Mundines. It, look, it, it most certainly will be, and of course you've got Tim Zoo in there as well, who's the son of the great Costa mm. Zoo, and Timmy's number one in the world the super welterweights and he'll have a world title fight at some stage next year it won't be early but at some stage so you add all that together mate and you're looking at something amazing then you've got i've got another couple of guys in my stable who are stunning and uh i've got a kiwi boy at the moment called uh, andre mikhailovich who's a middleweight look out for that name because he was on the uh justice Heaney paul gallon undercard up against a guy called alex hannon who thought he was a bit of a gangster and got up with some sort of antics that he shouldn't have and it was all filmed, obviously, because it was on TV. And that particular fight's been viewed over 5 million times on social media. So it's fair to say Andre mm. Mikhailovich is on his way. His nickname is The Russian. He's got a fascinating backstory. He was one of the number of Russian kids that come out here, I think, in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, and put up for adoption with New Zealand families. So The Russian, is a, he's a good man, he's a hard-working man, and he can really, really fight. On the subject of uh, good New Zealand fighters as well, uh, David Nika just uh, setting out on his professional path, uh, Dino, uh, and he's cruiserweight as well as Opataya. Uh, any chance down the track? Look, I, I think that's a realistic opportunity. Basically, what's going to happen, let's just say Jai was to win that world title. Um, 
David would have to have around 10 fights as a minimum before he starts to qualify to get in the top 15. Once he's in the top 15, then the champion can fight anybody uh, in that top 15. So for David to get up 10 fights and get to the top 15, it's probably a two-year journey. Now, if Jai was to hold that belt still after two years, if he can win it, that would be a massive fight and it would be a lot of fun. And, of course, David's uh, on an amazing journey at the moment. I've seen him training with Tyson Fury and Joseph Parker and even sparring with Tyson Fury on some of the social media posts. So, mate, it's incredible the opportunities that's been afforded to David, thanks to Joseph Parker. And, mate, it's good to see young New Zealanders sort of getting their opportunities. One of the uh, fighters, he uh, was a league player, of course, uh, come fighter that New Zealanders love to hate is Paul Gallen. Uh, where's his uh, career at the moment? That's a very good question, because my guy, Justice Hooney, beat the flying heck out of Gallon uh, in June uh, earlier this year. And, and Paul's opted to keep fighting, but he wants to fight football players only. So he's up against a guy in two weeks' time or three weeks' time called Darcy Lussick, who uh, was a former NRL player, and they've, they've grabbed Darcy uh, out of, uh, off a uh, building site and because uh, he's a former <laughs> NRL player and he's a tough bugger because he knocked out... Another NRL player about a year ago called Justin Hodges. So that fight takes place December 22. And then uh, there'll be a really big footy fight night with uh, Sam Burgess and Paul Gallon, I believe, in around May, March 5 next year. So it's fair to say Gallon's still active, but he got he, he got severely beaten up against Justice Hooney over 10 rounds and uh, thought the real boxing, because, mate, I did explain to him before we did the fight, I said, bro, you know, in the, in the past, you've been in the circus fighting game. Now we're in the hurt game. It's a, big, a lot of difference. Paul didn't quite believe me. and didn't quite understand it. And at the back end of that fight, Paul actually had a rematch clause. And, mate, I can promise you, he made a massive amount of money out of that fight. He had a rematch clause to do it all again, and he would have made more money. And Paul is the first to say he's a prize fighter. And, mate, he wanted no part of it. So it just goes to show that mate, the hurting game... Boxing is that when you're in the, in the pros and he's gone back to the circus, but he's still making great money. Good luck to him. Well, speaking of that, uh, Dino, we've, uh, of course, from a New Zealand point of view, got jo- the Joseph Parker rematch with Derek Chisora, scheduled for December 19. Um, under Andy Lee, the new trainer, how do you um, perceive that fight going uh, and also Joseph's career with Andy Lee? Oh, look, I think, I think Joseph's got plenty of miles left on the clock, and I think he beats Chisora. Joe's biggest problem at the moment is just what's going on at heavyweight level between Alexander Ursik, Anthony Joshua, and Tyson Fury and Dylan White. So Joe's opportunity to fight for a world heavyweight title might be a little way off, but I, I think he wins that Chisora fight comfortably. I think uh, in the last fight round when he got knocked down, I think it was in the first round, and he just got caught unawares. Chisora comes out and swings hard always in the first round. He didn't really have much of a camp with Andy Lee. I think he was only probably together five or six weeks this time. He's got a good you know, 10 or 12 weeks in with Andy Lee. And I think you'll see a much improved Joseph Parker performance. And I do think he'll win that fight. And, you know, if things, if he keeps looking one or two more big fights, he could be right back in contention for that heavyweight title. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a log jam at the moment between what's going on with the big boys, you know, at number one and two in the world. Dino, you're, I mean, your role um, is... You know, you try to promote, you try to get a lot of people into uh, an arena at the same time, sitting very close together, which flies against the way of life we're living at the moment. Uh, so, uh, honestly, but obviously very tough times. Do you see light? Do you see some light there? Look, at the end of the tunnel, we certainly do. Smithy, I think New Zealand 
is the last of the countries to actually start to slowly, slowly open up. If you look at what's going on in New South Wales and Australia right now in Victoria, country, you know, I think they're pretty much fully open nowadays. Queensland's still a little ways to go. Uh, if you look over to Europe in particular at the moment, you know, 70,000 seaters have been filled up on a regular basis. Uh, I've got no doubts, you know, you can't look into the future and be a soothsayer and say, I know everything that's going to happen. But I think with the vaccines have been rolled out all around the world, I think we're going to have to just get used to this thing because I think people's appetites have been locked down are going to be you know, far much more diminished the further they do it mm. or the more they do it. And now that we're getting them sort of opened up, I do see the world opening up full time. And with the exception of New Zealand, which I just, the draconian nature of what goes on here sometimes dumbfounds me, but you just got to fit in with the rules and you can't worry about it too much. So you just play, you push, if you're going to do events in New Zealand, push them back as far as you can and just allow this vaccination to roll out and the government to slowly allow things to happen. Um, very interesting. Very, very interesting indeed. There's no doubt about it. I um, mean, that vaccination passport is uh, the way to a better life uh, than we're knowing at the moment. Uh, Dino, I understand that parts of Auckland might open socially this weekend, which means uh, people might be out and about spotting you. Is, uh, how long are you here for? When are you going back? Uh, I've been here for about the last three months. I'm going back December 27 because, mate, I, I refuse to miss Christmas Day, which is my favourite day of the year with family. So I'm going to do that. Um, and I, strangely enough, Smitty, I would have had, in the last five years, I would have had one big drink. And it's fair to say the, uh, the, the, the uh, contents of my stomach were expelled on that one big drink, and I don't want to do it again. So I will be uh, going socially... Uh, this week, this Friday, I think it is, Leo Malloy down at headquarters, which I'm sure you know Leo and the headquarters. He's put on a massive feed and a big day for a whole lot of invited guests. So uh, I will be enjoying the food, but uh, probably less imbibing myself with the uh, the evil that is alcohol smithy. Well, you might be able to vote for him for Mayor of Auckland then, uh, as a, like a special <laughs> vote. It's fair to say I probably will. I like Leo immensely. He does a great job. I know he polarises a lot of people and gets offside with a lot of people, but mate, he's got a good, uh, uh, down deep, he's got a good heart, he's a good man, and he most certainly runs the best pub in the country, and in my opinion, one of the best restaurants with how good the food is, so, uh, and that, that little plug there will get me free food for another month, buddy, I'm happy about it, thank you for the opportunity. Ah, <laughs> uh, Dino, 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 hey, great to catch up with you, mate, Lo- loving to hear that uh, you're so positive about uh, what's happening in the future, and your stable of boxes seems full and healthy, so... Uh, we look forward to catching up in the new year when uh, back in operation. Uh, all the best, mate. Thank you. Always a pleasure being on with you, Smitty. It's good to hear you going good, fella. Talk soon. Yeah, cheers, Dino. Thank you. Dean Lonigan there, folks. Uh, one of the great characters of New Zealand sports and entertainment, I hasten to add, and now applying his trade predominantly across the Tasman. Um, and uh, when Dino puts it on, you want to be there. It is some sort of a show, I promise you. Uh, on that subject... Uh, we shall be uh, giving you uh, a winning answer for that uh, particular Baz and Izzy spotlight on the Christchurch frequency this turnaround, uh, this time around, which is, of course, 12.60 a.m. Uh, you got the opportunity to win 1260 bucks. We are going to give you uh, an answer after the break, uh, as well as a uh, chance to stump Smithy, read out some more text, uh, and then before, uh, around 20 to 12, we'll be looking at our Mount Rushmore about those moustaches, the greatest moustaches in sport. Uh, in the opinion of John Day and myself. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
It's Bezzy's and Izzy's radio frequencies. It's Bezzy's and Izzy's radio frequencies. She walks real slow Right, so Baz and Izzy are putting a spotlight on SENZ's Christchurch Frequency. It's 12.60am, of course, if you're listening down there. You know that. If you're searching for it or hearing it on the app, uh, that's where you go on your car radio as well. So uh, 12.60am, that gives you the chance to win 1260 bucks with Baz and Izzy's Radio Frequencies competition. Uh, so to make it easier for you, here's the answer to one of the 10 questions the boys will be asking tomorrow. Uh, around 8 o'clock, uh, get on the blower, give yourself a chance to win it. Here's our answer. At which Olympics did New Zealand men's rowing eight uh, when they win their first gold medal? We've talked about it a lot uh, throughout the Olympics, uh, highlighted it a lot as well. Uh, at which Olympics did New Zealand men's rowing eight win their first gold? The answer, of course, is 1972. So write that down. You'll get more answers across the day with Staffy between 12 and 4, back to his normal hours today, I assume, and then... Uh, the drive team, uh, which today will be Kirsty and uh, Beaver, and they'll be from four to seven, uh, and they'll give you uh, um, an answer, maybe two, uh, so you can get uh, five. We'll give you five, I think, uh, as you look to find the other five. Uh, get involved in that comp. Easy money, I reckon. Uh, okay, let's uh, look at some of these texts uh, as we head into Stump Smithy. Uh, it kind of feels more like a loss than a draw. 100% not the best test team in the world. Once we lost some of all, we completely shut up shop. Latham was never going to up the run rate or rotate the strike, and Williamson, Taylor, and Nichols, arguably our top three bets, offered nothing regarding going for a win. Incredibly lucky for a draw, but it goes to show that the batting negatively, more often than not, uh, gets you nowhere. So uh, that's an interesting perspective from Brad. Uh, thanks very much for that. Uh, Smithy, uh, what about no mention of very elegant, still claim here as a New Zealand horse? That was uh, in terms of the race Horse of the Year, won by Probabil. Uh, very elegant, outstanding. What an outstanding individual. Um, a text coming in from uh, one of our, well, no name attached to it, the pitch at Braybourne Stadium. Now, Braybourne is one of two stadiums, at least in Mumbai, capable of holding test cricket. If it's Braybourne Stadium, it'll have bounce and little swing, but will start turning quickly as well. Uh, interesting to note, so plenty to uh, combat there. Wagner in for Taylor, who's been a passenger for two years now. Get him out. Uh, that's another one there. Uh, regarding Brandon Smith, he clearly wants to go to the Roosters for 2022. Uh, he's simply planting the seeds to ensure the Storm are happy. Let him go. I don't blame him. Why would a player of his ability want to spend a season playing behind Harry Grant? Probably not the smartest way to go about it, but to be fair, he's never come across a smartest player in the NRL. In fact, he seems like a bit of a clown, to be honest. That said, he's a heck of a footy player, probably best for all parties if he goes this year. Cheers, Zane. Not sure about their budget this year, Zane, whether they can uh, they can fit him in there or not. Um, let's uh, have a look. Uh, hi, Smithy. It was a great result for the Black Caps, but I am more annoyed uh, that we've gone into another test series without any warm-up whatsoever. We are world test champions. Should have demanded some practice for our batsman and our spinner before going into a test series like this, especially against India. Last week we played three pyjama T20s which were meaningless, meant nothing. Once again, a T20 format takes top priority, only a cash cow for the game compared to the true form of the game. 
We've uh, seen some good efforts with the bat with the likes of Latham. Yes, we haven't really mentioned Tom Latham. Two really good performances, weren't they? Doing solid performances. Uh, and Young, where, where the rest have been average, but w what do we expect when you have gone into a test match without giving them any sort of pre-game time? If we look at England, who are currently in Australia, are having warm-ups to go to show the big three will always be treated better than the likes of the others, including us. Whoever accepted this tour without thinking of some preparations should get a good slapping. We deserve better. I hope we are competitive in the next test starting Friday. Uh, thank you, Rich, for that one. Uh, and here's uh, an interesting one on the rugby note from Zane. I had to chuckle when I saw an article on News Hub claiming that Bowden Barrett seriously uh, backs uh, Fozzie the whole way. Have you ever come across a current All Black who was ever prepared to speak negatively about the All Blacks coach? No matter how much they might not like what the guy is doing, I've spoken to people in and around the AB's environment who seriously question whether Fozzie is the guy, but they would never admit that publicly. Cheers, Zane. Hmm, interesting. Interesting, and your texts have been absolutely magnificent this morning. I thank you for those. Uh, and a number of emotive issues across the board. It is coming up to 11.30 on SENZ, and speaking of uh, getting involved, 0800 150 811 is the phone number. Opportunity now for you to make 50 bucks, courtesy of the TAB. It's news time. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. That time again, quiz time, where we give away 50 bucks from the TAB and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And a guy who we haven't heard from for so long, I was worried about him, is Reed from Gore. G'day, Reed. G'day, John. How you getting on? Yeah, good, mate. Been a long time. What have you been up to? Oh, mate, she's she's pretty obviously pretty popular to get through to the old station these days. She's pretty she's pretty hard gone. <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. We've got some runs on the board, and everyone wants a piece of us now. But you've got through first, so well done to you. You know how the game works, but some people might not. So we'll let them know. Uh, you get three sporting categories. You choose one, then you get three questions right, and you win. But if you get one wrong, Smithy can come in, and if he's right, you'll be gone. So Reed, your categories today are tennis, basketball and soccer slash football. Which one of those do you like? Oh, there's three that I'm not that fond of. But um, anyway, we'll, we'll just throw a bit of uh, tennis out there. Tennis, yeah. No rugby and no cricket today. So, yeah, they're, they're a bit off the beaten track for us Kiwis. But good luck to you, mate. Tennis, let's go. Question number one. Michael Venus is pretty good at doubles, but he's got a way to go to be the best. Which men's doubles combination have won the most Grand Slams? Uh, oh, I would say, is it Pavic and, and Mate? Mate Pavic? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It is not. It is not them. Smithy, a chance for a stumping. I reckon it's going to go back a bit in time, to be honest. I'm going to go Newcomb and Roach. John Newcomb and Tony Roach. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Thought you were going to go the Woodies there no. for a second out of Aussie, but no, Mike and Bob Bryan, uh, the American oh, brothers who do a lot of uh, chest bumping together. They won 16 Grand Slam titles together, 34 combined. So still alive there, Reid. Tennis is working out for you so far. 
Question number two. Steffi Graf won three Aussie Open titles in a row in 88, 89 and 90. Then Monica Selesch won three in a row in Melbourne in 91, 92, 93. And then another women's tennis player won three in a row in 97, 98 and 99. Who was she? Now I'll have to pass on that one, I think. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, another chance. Goodness. Absolutely should mow this over. I'm thinking of people like Capriati, Jana Novotna, Kim Kleisters. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. The Swiss Miss, Martina Hingis. You were, oh, I think if you gave oh. you a little bit longer, Smithy, I think you would have got there. But oh. <laughs> Reed's feeling for you, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> all right, okay. all right, Reed. Get this right. You get the sleep drops. You get the fifty bucks, or else it jackpots till tomorrow. Final question: Roger Federer probably won't win another Grand Slam. I think it's fair to say with his injuries. So when was his last triumph in a major tournament? He meaning is in the um, last time he won, like last year. Yeah, which, which tournament and what year did he last win a Grand Slam, the great Roger Federer, number 20? Oh, I'll uh, take a nice stab in the dark and I will say uh, US Open in 2018. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Hearing Richie Benno a lot today, Smithy, an opportunity. When did Roger Federer last gonna, win his last Grand Slam? I'm going to say Wimbledon 2019. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Aussie Open 2018. So you had the rare year right, Reid, and you win 50 bucks from the TAB, but you didn't get the last question right, so no sleep drops for you. But 50 bucks oh, isn't too bad. No, that's bloody fantastic. Thanks very much, guys. Much appreciated, as always. Hey, great to have you back on the show. Yeah. And Smithy, I think I've learnt my lesson. Maybe add a rugby or a cricket every day so people can have a go at the favourites. Yeah, Absolutely, just a little John. obscure, some of those. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, Reed, I agree with that. Just a little bit obscure, some of those, John. I think you, sometimes you get in a bit of a mood. Sometimes um, I'm not quite sure you've, <laughs> you, you've got the right... I don't think you've got the right variety in the pipe sometimes, and I think you just get a bit picky from time to time. So I, I, I think, you know, I think for the basis of, of, our, um, of our listeners a burgeoning, growing audience that Reed's part of. Uh, we might have to look at the, the core events uh, a little bit more seriously. Yep. But Reed, stay on the line. Well done. Well done, mate. Congratulations. Uh, have a great day d- uh, down in the deep south as well. Uh, 11.37 here on SENZ uh, when we come back from this very short break. Uh, Mount Rushmore, what about those famous moustaches? Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, uh, that's the signal for Mount Rushmore. And today, because it's the 30th of of November, it's the last day of Movember. Uh, we thought we might just pay a little tribute to those men uh, around the world who have um, been remembered, I suppose, for having quite a healthy moustache, I think it's fair to say. 
Uh, I see Trudy just sitting there looking, posed, wondering. Uh, thumbs up, Trudy. You like a moustache, do you? I actually don't mind a mo, and I love Movember and what it raises the money for. And I've been impressed with the guys around here at SCNZ. Some are a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> JD's right. is pretty impressive. Yeah, well, uh, JD's, yeah, well, I'd say no more. Hey, um, Trudy, uh, if you had to have a sportsman over the years with a moustache, when I say like to have, if you mean to have to pick one, uh, who would it be? Uh, well, back in the day, I guess it would have been Richard Hadley. Sir Richard, sorry. Oh. Back in the day. Oh, Sir Richard Hadley. Okay, interesting. Well, my number four, Trudy, interestingly enough, was um, a, a, a sort of a counterpart of Richard Hadley. Uh, here's a bloke whose moustache I saw close up uh, from 20, 20 metres every now and then, and when he ran through, probably five or six metres. But this is my number four. I'm trying to scare him, trying to probably hurt him more than anything else but uh, I don't want to cause any permanent damage or anything like that it's just a matter of trying to hurt him at the moment perhaps in the ribs or the leg or something like that so that he at least knows you're around and that uh, he's a bit wary about getting behind the next one. Dennis Keith Lilly mm. now his moustache his moustache his gold chains when he was running in the hairy chest as he ran in towards you with the perfect run up and let you have it and then um, obviously, if you're out there long enough to stay and enjoy it for any period of time, uh, you got to know the moustache pretty well. But uh, in a lot of cases, you didn't hang around long at all. So he's my number four, one of the great fast bowlers in the world. His, uh, his record, fantastic. 70 tests, 355 wickets at 23.92. Fantastic. John Day. Well, just hearing him talk there, Smithy, how scary was it facing Dennis Lilly? He didn't <laughs> want to kill you, but he wanted to maim you. He wanted to break your ribs. How but- scary was that? Well, that was option B for most fast bowlers. I know, in fact, it was for option A for some. But if they couldn't get you out, they, uh, you know, it was part of their uh, M modus operandi, uh, their MO, John, uh, to make sure that if you stuck around for a while, you felt it the next morning. So there you go. <laughs> Love that. All right, my number four, I went for an all black, and then when I tried to choose the best all black moustache, these are the names that went through my head. Bernie Fraser, Grizz Wiley, Joe Stanley... Gary Witten, Carl Tuinukawafe, Murray Mixted, and Keith Murdoch. And I just I couldn't really separate them all. I was just trying to pick one of them, but I went back to the original moustache. 1905, Dave Gallagher had one of the most beautiful moustaches you'll ever see. Of course, captain of the 1905 originals would look great on a penny farthing. I reckon that real old school kind of twist out the end, very bushy in the middle. So Dave Gallagher is my number four for moustaches. Uh, passed away sadly in Passchendaele too early in World War One. But Dave Gallagher, the original All Blacks moustache for me, Smithy, and there were some crackers in the ABs over the years. Yeah, there were absolutely. It was almost a, a trademark there for a while. I'm going to go way, way back in time as well to the founder of the IOC, the man they called the father of the modern Olympics. Baron Pierre de Coubertin. Uh, Baron Pierre de Coubertin. Google him. Uh, have a look at that impressive offering on his top lip. Uh, but he was very, very famous uh, and a, a great, a great contributor to world sport. The, the father of the modern Olympics, Baron Pierre de Coubertin. He had a mo. I did, yeah, Google him, Smithy, and you're not wrong. One of those ones like you can twist it out the end, but instead of twisting it and curling it up, it just keeps on going out to the side. So how long do you reckon it was in inches uh, from one end to the other of his moustache? An absolute ripper. 
Well, I, I never got to saw it. See it, John. Contrary to popular belief, I wasn't around then at the turn of last century. Uh, but I understand. Uh, I understand you've got a you would have got a healthy twist. We'll leave it at that. A healthy twist. Yeah, it's an absolute ripper and deserving of being number three. My number three is another New Zealander, and I think he just made the handlebar moustache famous in New Zealand and popular again. Because you know, I don't know Trudy whether you like handlebar moustaches, but any uh, will do. Yeah, yeah. But I think Eric Murray. Uh, as part of that brilliant pair and the rowing, it just, you know, just iconic. When you you couldn't imagine Eric Murray without that moustache. Well, I can't, and I just think it's an absolute iconic piece of facial hair, and maybe the reason why they went so well in that boat with Hamish Bond. Hamish Bond so clean cut, and you know dapper, whereas Eric Murray with the hard edge look with the handlebar moustache. So for me, number three, Eric Murray on my Mount Rushmore of moustaches. Okay, fair enough. Well, my number three was actually, I've mentioned him already this morning, uh, with your tennis question in Stump Smithy, uh, and it's John Newcomb. Now, John Newcomb was uh, one of the hunks way back in the day, as they say, when men's tennis in Australia, uh, grass court tennis in particular, was the thing. Uh, and uh, every now and then they used to pop across to New Zealand, either playing the Davis Cup or uh, one of our tournaments. Uh, they would deem it uh, likely that they could come over here. Uh, the, the tennis circuit back in those days wasn't as big as it was uh, is now, uh, but uh, they, uh, Newcomb and Roach, were outstanding doubles combination. And John Newcomb, uh, he was uh, one of the world's great tennis players of that era. Seven singles Grand Slam titles, 17 doubles titles with Tony Roach, two mixed doubles titles. These are all Grand titles. These are all Grand, grand Slam titles. I hasten to add, uh, and he was. Uh, a tennis star that uh, they idolised back in those days. Uh, Newcomb and Roach, not quite uh, like the, the dipsticks they've got playing today, Australia, <laughs> who tried to, Curios and co, who tried to just upset the apple cart. Uh, these guys were genuine, uh, well-regarded sportsmen in Australia, and he had a moustache that impressed. We'll leave it at that. Absolutely. Well, got the thumbs up from Trudy again. You do love your moustaches. Uh, yeah, don't mind them at all. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, number two for me. Of uh, going overseas and cricketers. Cricketers are so prevalent, Smithy, especially mm. with our texters. And I have gone for an Aussie cricketer as well. I just, I, I tried to think outside the square, but you don't need to with Merv Hughes. It was the <laughs> outstanding moustache of the time and continues to be. I mean, if you think of Mitchell Johnson and what he tried to grow and compare that to Merv Hughes, I mean, there is no comparison. It was the moustache as, as I was growing up. Uh, Merv Hughes, an absolute character. It added to his character. I thought, and I absolutely admired it as a young man, and I thought, how can I ever get to that standard of moustache? And I never will. So sometimes you just look up and you're just like, that's the best moustache in cricket for me. Merv Hughes, Smithy, number two. You got? Did you have any run-ins with Merv over your time? Uh, no, uh, I, I, I wanted to have one one day at the, at the, uh, at the Wacker, um, and that test match where Mark Ratbatch batted for like seven days yes. to save it for us. I wanted to have a confrontation with Merv that day, but he got me out first ball, so oh. uh, that didn't last too long. So, um, yeah, I, I regret. Didn't even notice, I didn't even notice if he had a moustache that day. <laughs> um, John, and in terms of yours being compared to Merv Hughes, yeah, you are the guy who felt of Merv Hughes' moustaches. There yes. you go. No, fair um, and, and just finally, I mean, how can you go past, uh, in terms of moustache, how can you go past a guy whose nickname was the Walrus? For goodness sake, <laughs> the Walrus. That's his nickname, Craig Stadler. Slightly overweight, picture that. Slightly tempestuous, even grumpy. 
<laughs> haven't seen any one of those lately. Uh, and I just think that uh, he absolutely fits the bill for my hero. I mean, uh, if I played golf like anyone, it's the walrus. And so the walrus is my number one. Has to be. Wow. Craig Stadler. Yeah. No, I, I bow to that. What a, what a nickname. If you've got a nickname, the walrus, you're right. You do have to be number one. Well, my number one is this guy. I'll let the music do the talking. Hulk Hogan, just what a moustache, just I knew you would do this, I knew you would do this, are you serious, I mean this is McEnroe stuff, are you serious, Hulk Hogan, he's not a sportsman's butt, honestly, he's not part of the sporting mecca, you can't put Hulk Hogan in the mix, you cannot put Hulk Hogan in the mix and I knew you'd do it, I knew you'd do it, I'm that predictable, no, that is just a bozo selection. I, I just we've got to get this show back on track. That's ridiculous, Hulk Hogan. Uh, I want to talk to Staffy before the break to get some. I don't know, just to get some flavour back in. I mean, I'm disgusted, John. I'm disgusted by that. Bloody 